welcome to episode 86 of Zapped to the Past. I am Adrian Mills and I'm joined as always by Graham Raddings. If you haven't listened before, this is a podcast where we discuss games that were released for the Commodore 64. Last week, we looked at our second batch of games from issue 36 of Zap 64, which we are in no way affiliated with, and went footy mad in Fourth and Inches, became very daring in Dan Dare 2, and asked for a pee, please, Bob in blockbusters. This week, we conclude our look at the games in April 1988, along with what was lighting up our TV and cinema screens that month. So Graham, fill us in on the glorious delights to come. In this newly opened artisan craft ale bar and microbrewery featuring popular local IPAs Plucky Duck, Nine Fingers, Henry's Dusty Lulu, an old flabby Ken from the Three Bens Brewery, as well as Merrylegs Cider Company's ever-popular Manifold Smash and Punch's Black Eye, and of course the super-risky, super-strong Dutch IPA Mental Floss of an episode. We head to August 1944 and occupied France in the company of the plucky Ledoux as we attempt to steal back some artworks and head across the western border in The Train, Escape to Normandy. Explore what an isometric paradroid game looks like by playing the isometric version of paradroid. Yeah. In Magnetron, and deftly manoeuvre our ball around another series of complex isometric grids, all while collecting the right number of crosses in the uber-smart roll around. If that second pint of Benson's A-level grade reducer hasn't quite hit the mark, and do you think a glass of Pellington's face stitch at Dark Lager might smooth your mood swings? We also dive into the oxymoronic world of Jack the Jester as we amble around looking for magic table lights in the orally enticing Black Lamp. Trundle around the dreary mazes of a broken automated airport terminal trying to fix its brain in the utterly meandering Stratton. Once again, grab our lightest GT bikes with the mag wheels and the saddles like razors so we can badly race over some muddy humps in the ridiculous BMX Hyper Biker Simulator before finally feeling a little more buzz as we zoom around the mechanoid system framework looking for yokers in the zizzy world of Firefly. Up and down, up and down, these games are a veritable yo-yo of quality. However, we do have a real couple of gems in here and that is a good thing. Glorious. Mm. Glorious, yes. Hopefully they will be glorious. Mm. (laughs) Is that the alternative Duran Duran song? Glorious. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's just not enough I, the forgot that was a, Gl- I actually forgot that was a Duran Duran song Glo- what is it it's not glorious Not- but in my head it is now it's notorious notorious <laughs> so it's going to be it's erased <laughs> for some reason wow weird. that's because when I when I said it to you I moved my right arm sort of Paul McKenna style Gl- glorious and that was it your left side of your brain was was uh, encompassed and now need I remind you that misuse of the force is considered a Jedi crime <laughs> And punishable with lots of thinking in corridors and thinking. <laughs> Heavy think because they can't really punish a Jedi, can you? What can you do to a Jedi? Put them in a room yeah. and just make them you think about what you've done a lot. You could chop thinker. them up with a lightsaber. That seems to be a bit more dark side than, than Jedi side. <laughs> uh, that's Sith. Yeah. Oh, that's true. a bit on the Sith, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. Never yeah. mind. Anyway. On the Sith side of life. Always look on the Sith side of life. I bet Darth Vader hums that to himself when he's <laughs> just changing his, his nappy or whatever he does. Force <laughs> jokes. Yeah. Always, Always look, look on, on the Sith. Con. Look on the bright side of life. <laughs> what bright side? <laughs> I find your lack of chorus disturbing. <laughs> yes, Queen. Stop it with your don't stop me now. No chorus. <laughs> Stupid songs. <laughs> I can imagine that really bothers Darth Vader. He's like, damn queen. <laughs> <laughs> Lord Vader, we've got your audience prepared with Brian May. Good. <laughs> Good. It's time he learned the power of the chorus. 
gold, gold, always believing. I see you have constructed your own guitar saber. All the better. You've built it from a bigger guitar. <laughs> With your dad's help, I see. <laughs> I knew my father once. No, he didn't. Anyway, does he never know his father? Does Anakin know his father? No, he doesn't, does he? No, he's a. He just lives with his mum, no, didn't he? Was, he was born from a mysterious source, was he? His Medicalorians, was it? You know, she just she says in the first, in that Star Wars movie, I just woke up and it was there. I'm like, oh, of course you did. That's uh, <laughs> that's all right. Okay, all right. Sorry. Right. Yeah, it's Joseph. Immaculate conception. That. All right. Yeah, exactly. All right. Okay. Yeah, all okay. Right. That's you know, <laughs> that's what you're saying to the people. We'll go for that. Indeed. This has taken a turn. Should we get on with some games? I think we probably should because it's gone random. Very random. Really, Always random. Really uh, let's Always move in. So let's uh, let's choo-choo along to our first game. Um, and Graham, this is the age of the train. Tell us all about the train. This is the train, uh, the, or the, the train, the escape to Normandy is its mm. full title. Um, this is from Accolade. Um, the programming was by Jay Stewart Easterbrook and Lisa Mendoza. <laughs> uh, the graphics are by Grant Campbell. I hope Lisa never listens to this and gets offended by that. Don't, don't take offense, Lisa. It's honestly meant with the greatest of respect. Um, design is by Rick Banks and Paul Butler, and the sound is by Paul Butler. Dun, 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 dun. Good team have assembled there for Accolade. Um, so the story then for this. This uh, game, by the way, got a 87% score in Zap, okay? And that was a disc-based version. They make a big point of saying, the tape version's coming soon, maybe. Um, felt that it took up needless page inches for that. <laughs> but there you go. It could have just been a little sentence, really, but there you go, anyway. So the story then, August 1944. This is from the uh, instruction manual. Occupied France is soon to be liberated by the advancing allies. The German grip on Europe is crumbling and an evacuation of men, materials and plunder is underway. The prize and pride of France, its entire art collection, is to be expropriated and shipped by rail to Berlin. Bum, bum, bum. The German hope mm-hmm. is to hold the art treasure for ransom in the now inevitable surrender negotiations. You and other members of the French underground resistance movement must first take the heavily guarded train in the main yard at Metz. If you manage to escape and make your way onto the main line, then the real game begins. Casualties may be high. You must be prepared to engineer the train yourself, but you will have help. The train is on a siding, heavily guarded. The steam pressure is up, ready to go, awaiting orders to head east for Berlin at midnight. Daylight runs were suicide at this point in the war. So, so you know, you must take possession mm-hmm. of the train and head west to the border to meet up with the Allies by dawn. Your cargo, priceless Monet's, Gaga, is it Gauguin? Gauguin. Gauguin. Renoir's, Picasso's, Myro's, every Van Gogh must go. <laughs> it must go. Um, <laughs> un- 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 unimaginable art treasure. This it train is, is in your charge. It's got to go. <laughs> da, 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 da. <laughs> you can have some fun signing your name with the original signers. Never mind. Um, on board train, a resistance crew. Anyone that needs, you need to watch Amazon Women on the Moon to get that joke, by the way. Just, you know, we need to contextualize yeah, that's, that's that. That's obscure crazy. even for us. <laughs> so, <laughs> anyway, on board the train, the resistance crew will assist you in deciphering the whistles, signals, lights, and signs necessary to make your way safely on the line. While on the train, you will be receiving help from the underground movement. They will provide you with the information, updates, and signals and assist you in track switching and support. However, due to bombings and sabotage, the usual safety systems and track circuits may be damaged or be unreliable. Be careful. Bon chance. Bon chance. Bon chance. Um, 
Bonus chance. Yeah, the characters then. Um, you are Pierre LeFou, <laughs> who is a first-time engineer by circumstance, and his injured companion, Ledoux, is with you, who has some previous experience in a fi- as a fireman on a train. Both are members of the French underground resistance movement, or the firm. So the object of the game then, take the art train to the Riviera, or at least to the west, to meet the advancing allies. Achieve a good high score, shoot as many of the enemy fighters as you can, take as many enemy train stations as possible, and take as many enemy bridges as you deem appropriate, um, and protect the train and its precious cargo from damage at all costs. Mm -hmm. That is the game in a nutshell. What an ace premise for a game. Yeah, absolutely. And it's based on a film. I didn't know that until I read the Zach review. It's apparently based on a Burt Lancaster film, which I've never seen. I think I have many, many years ago. I can only assume there's some terrible French accents in that. No, Burt Lancaster didn't do accent. No, it'll be just... all allo allo accents for the French resistance, though. We know that. <laughs> I was just pissing in the corridor and all that. Probably. Anyway, so this game is essentially a very clever, very, very clever series of interlinked micro games or mini games, all in keeping with the core theme. The first mission, taking the train, starts in the Mets Railway Yard. To the left is the eponymous train. In the middle is the train track, and to the right is the platform and the station and some outbuildings. You must control Le Fou. Now, is it Le Fou or Le Fou? Le Fou. F-E-U. I don't know how you pronounce certain French words. I'm going to say Fou. Le Fou. Awkward, that. Um, Le Fou. And provide covering fire for the plucky Ledoux um, (laughs) as he races across... Or is it Latrine? As he races across the tracks (laughs) to access the point switch. As he limps across, remember he is injured, um, enemy soldiers appear in the windows and shoot at you and them and him, or mainly you. So using your trusty machine gun and crosshairs controlled by the joystick, you must shoot at them, which causes forces them into cover. Pressing the space bar also ducks you into cover if you have too many things flying towards you or if you shoot the enemies or if they're shooting at you. Essentially, you've got to cover Ledoux as he runs across towards the switch point. When he reaches the switch point, you basically have to control the route for the train. And at this point, cleverly, you choose e- easy, intermediate, or expert mode. Now, Very I clever. really like that. Very I really, really this. like that. Really good. And also yep. teaches you the principal control system of the game. That is clever thinking. And mm-hmm. in actuality, a lot about this game as we go through this, you'll start to think this game sounds a lot more modern than it is. A lot of the precepts yep. for this game really echo into a lot of the modern games anyway. So once the to go to the next step, once you've got the train or the station taken, sorry, it's to, your next step is to control the train itself on your journey. The train is consistent of a, obviously the train and a series of cars. You've got a single piston type H engine, which you control. You've got a coal car with a machine gun mounted at the top, three cargo cars with the artwork. At the mid train, you've got a cannon with 155 mil mounted on a flat car. And then you've got a telegraph car at the back or a caboose with the rear-mounted gun on it as well. So that's your train. Um, and the mainstay of the game, when you're in the train itself, there's three views. The footplate, where you control the train itself, and at the rear and front view with mounted machine guns, as I've previously described. That's how you fend off airborne attacks, generally speaking. Mm-hmm. The route from Metz to the border in the west contains stations, bridges, and other switches. And the do will let you know of any impending items coming up and handily any pertinent issues for the train itself. The fourth view is of the map of the train tracks and the routes you can follow to get away with your precious cargo. Cleverly and handily, you can either use the keys one to four for the view, so one for the front view, two for the rear, three for the footplate, four for the map. Or you can double-click the fire button and press up for the front, down for the rear, right for the engine, button, footplate, and left for the map. That, again, very, very, very clever. Yep, absolutely. Um, So, and by the way, there's actually, when you look at the map, all the main stations are on the map, but if you actually go to the manual, you've got another map in there, 
which gives you all of the smaller substations or the mini stations and um, what they call whistle stops and um, which i didn't even realize that was a name for those but that's where it comes from oh, does that mean yes. like whistle is that where whistle stop tour comes from yeah i never knew so that there you go so we've now so you've learned things this is why i've learned stuff quite good um the view from the foot plate contains the train controls that's your throttle the furnace the brake forward reverse lever steam blow off and the whistle um <laughs> Cleverly, you move a control indicator or arrow between the items with a joystick. You know, you don't have to drag that around the screen in an annoying way. You just move it around and it flips between them. It sort of clicks yep. between them, which is very, very good. Um, and that means you can select on any of the items. When you land on one of the ones you want to control, you press and hold the fire button, and then you move the joystick to alter the train controls. Nice and easy, that. Nice and simple. Yep. There are three indicators as well on there. That's your PSI, mass per hour, so your pressure, your mass per hour, and your temperature. And that gives a simple guide on the status of your engine. You need to control all three with the engine controls to keep the train running. So you've got to make sure that you put coal inside of the um, furnace. You've then got to make sure that you release the uh, throttle and the brake and you manage the, whole, manage the train. In a very simple, I think, five, six control system, you can fully get the idea of how to control this train. You need to control all three, as I say, with those engine controls to keep the train running. Ledoux will warn you of anything bad that might happen, i.e. too much pressure, or something that you're doing that's stupid and going to endanger you. It reminds me of that moment in The Simpsons. What does that do? <laughs> don't touch that. That's We need that to live. Um, so <laughs> Ledoux will be your handy guide to make sure you don't blow yourself up instantly. Um, but you do get time to switch things and take action. So you don't just get a warning like, beep, 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 dead. You get time to, now these things take time to happen and they don't just blow you up either. They cause damage to the train, which slows you down. Remember that you're against the clock here because you've got to get to the edge of the west by dawn. Otherwise, you're not going to make it. Mm-hmm. There's also a water indication. That will obviously get lower as you travel and you generate more steam um, and we'll come to how you sort of sort those things that problems out. But just to the left of that, there's your cab signal indicators. A top red light means the coming switch is set to right. That's the switch of the train track switch to switch tracks. Um, the middle left, middle light means uh, left on double switches and middle on triple. And this makes sense when you look at the map because obviously some of the tracks go off into three. Um, and the bottom switch, uh, the bottom mean the bottom light means that the switch is set to left, but that's only on the triple ones. And again, it all makes sense in context of the map and the game when you're playing it because obviously yep. you've got to navigate a, a train track, and a train track isn't just one track that goes from A to B. It splits off into different routes, and you can take different methods and go to different stations and all of that. If you want to change lines, the indication will happen before you get to a switch in red. And you will signal with your whistle. One for the top, twice for the middle, thrice for the bottom. And to indicate which way you want to go. Very cool. It's all mm-hmm. kept thematically consistent. Who doesn't want to be on a steam train and do that whistle sound? I mean, come on. Yeah, I know. Amazing. As you push onwards, Ledoux might inform you of enemy fighters attacking you. That's uh, obviously airplanes, not just people leaping on the train. From which direction they're coming. So then you jump into the front or rear gun of you. And here the enemy planes will swoop out of the sky in a really brilliant way. So it's not like it's sort of juddery, jerky animation. They actually sort of do look like they're flying around and you have to shoot them down. Similar in, in the way that you control it to Met Station. Ironically and funny that, that they've already taught you how to play the game principally for the machine gunning parts. But obviously you're on the moving train. And by the way, the graphics at this point are really good. But I will come back to the graphics and the look and feel of this. But genuinely, it feels like you're on a moving train at this point. And also, you've got to remember that while you're on the move and you're heading towards something, it's all still heading on the track. So even if you're shooting from the rear of the train or shooting from the front or whatever you might be doing, unless you stop that train, that train is going to go plowing on 
And that can have problems and cause consequences if you're not thinking, not keeping an eye on the map and what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, if you come across a station, you can choose to either stop the train or plow on through. I wouldn't recommend the latter generally, but it depends on how you want to play the game. You can just plow through the stations if you want to. If you don't do that at the station, you can stop um, and you adopt a similar gunnery position to the Met station, only this with a slightly different view. This time with the front of the train in profile to your left and the main station at the back and the main of the screen. And plucky old Ladoo once again will run for the station while bullets fly everywhere with you providing cover. Should you make it to the station, you'll be able to do a few things. Firstly, you'll be able to intercept some intelligence from the German command, which generally gives you key information about issues on the track, etc., and challenges that lie ahead on certain routes. So don't take this route because the track is damaged, etc., etc. After this, you can send a message to the resistance. So you'll get a range of options. You can issue a command to the resistance to take the next bridge or the station on your behalf, um, which they'll give you an indication that they've done by changing colour on the map. Um, so it goes, I think, from a red white dot to a red dot, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, you can indicate the need for repairs, which means that the next station, you've got to stop, and then they will issue the repairs if they can, and it, t- it tells you your train is being repaired. It doesn't happen there and then. You've actually got to get to the next station to get the repairs. It all makes sense, really. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, you can they also refill your water if you do that. And also, uh, you can send no message at all. So you can choose to do nothing. After that, back into the train, fire up the engines, and onwards towards the west we go. Should you encounter a bridge, which you will, you have to stop because if you don't, it's the end of the game because there's no way you can get across that bridge without getting blown up. So don't try and plow through or you'll simply just end. It's an instant fail. But if you don't do that and you stop the train and to stop the train, you've got to actually stop the train. So you can't just go, right, stop. You actually got to slow yourself down. Otherwise, yeah. you put the brakes on and do all of that. <laughs> yes. Otherwise, you'll damage. You can damage your train just as easy trying to stop it. So you can't go plowing and just saying, now you're not going to stop this train instantly, which is again is very good. When you do stop it, though, you get a different view. On the right is the bridge. In the center is a view of some boats in the river, um, and they're firing at your train from the water. You control a large cannon, which I've already said is the 155 millimeter, whatever it was. Um, you control that from the side elevation. You have a winding handle to move it left and right, and then you need to further control the elevation of the gun turret to aim for the boats properly. If you get hit. Your train gets damaged or your art gets damaged or eventually if the train gets damaged, it slows you down. If the art gets damaged too much, it's game over at that point. Sorry, Mm -hmm. you didn't make it. And so the game continues in that vein until you make it to the resistance in the West or die en route or don't make it. So you either make it or you don't. Um, You will, of course, earn a score for your troubles. The various different aspects of this game score points and it will accumulate and add up all your score to that point um, if you don't make it. But if you do make it, you get a nice little graphic to say, well done, you've achieved it, and then your score is totted up with an extra bonus finishing finishing the game. Mm-hmm. So the game then, that's the principle it controls and everything of the game. It's very simple to get into, and it has very nice, simple controls. None of them are too challenging, and it has a very strong central premise. Those are all key things that make this game very, very good. You know your mission parameters, and once you get into the swing of things, controlling the train, the guns, etc., is a whole bunch of fun. The graphics are genuinely brilliant for this. Take note, Southern Bell is what I wrote there, um, because this is how you make <laughs> a you train say, take game. Take note, Southern Bell. Yeah, because that's exactly what I've written. <laughs> yeah, make this is an how e- you make a train game. Star. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. From the fab details and graphics of the stations, through to the brilliantly realised footplate view, to the gunners' positions, and more. So there's such attention to detail and thought behind every pixel on here. Everything is here for a reason, and everything counts. Subtle details like the shadowing that's all the way through the game at the train stations, the way the cab illuminates when you open the furnace, the way the trees and the track whizzes by when you're on the move, it all adds up to a totally brilliant, enhancing experience, and it keeps to the main thematic of the game so well. It's very important. You're never taken out of this game like this. The section when you're providing machine gun cover for Ledoux, I think those sections are really well realized, and they keep the idea simple. For the first time, you feel like you have a chance with a joystick-controlled crosshair and a machine gun. Because normally yep. those things are horrible to control, but not here. Because mm-hmm. you've got affordance. When they shoot at you, you don't instantly get hit. 
if you shoot them before the bullet reaches you, it stops that bullet in its tracks. That makes sort of sense in the game like this. It well, allows you time. Floor, right? They're kind of getting towards yeah. you, like you're seeing the track of the bullet. It's just, it's just, yeah. It gives you affordance. It gives you a chance because most of these games, you know, they're all crack shot, super shots. You know, within three shots, bang, bang. You know, it's just not. It's not how these games work, and it certainly would never have worked in this. Which means you can get into this game. And you're not thrown out of it. And that is one of its key things. Uh, the final game design details work really well. Intercepting the German command intelligence is brilliant. Sending messages from the stations that you take are really cool. Controlling your route, your route on the train and the whistle and everything here has a purpose and a place in this game. And it's no by no means easy either. Controlling the train takes effort and timing. And you just need to just apply yourself a little bit. But you get into this game. You get into the world of it very easily. And the story is compelling. You've got an easy mission, you know. It's nice and simple like that. And considering there's so many parameters on the screens, it's amazing that you just you just get to grips with it very quickly. You will soon, you know, in the side of the train controls, you'll damage your gears more or less instantly because you'll go, what's that for? Oh, your gears are trash, which is what I did to mine. Doesn't kill me, <laughs> just slowed me down and I had to get, get it repaired en route. And you might take too much damage if you're not, you know, particularly good, especially at the bridge missions. They're quite tough. But at the same time, it's challenging. Mm-hmm. And because it has different routes and different difficulties, it means you can replay this and enjoy quite a different experience from it. So I had actually completely forgotten about this game. I mean, completely forgotten, other than the name of the train and a vague memory of it. And the idea of another train game genuinely filled me with dread. Um, <laughs> but I'm happy to say this is one of the best games I've played so far in 1988. And it's a real gem from Accolade, a real gem. In a similar way to Ace of Aces, this is a very worthwhile and fun blend of action and sim with a very strong premise, a very good look and feel. I highly recommend that you people go out and play this on the C64 because it is brilliant. And as a final note, it was cheated by Zap with an 87%. Cheated. I cannot get my head around that score for this game. What did you think? Yeah, I, just to sort of come to that final point you've made there, absolutely, 87% is way too low for this. Way too low. This is easily a sizzler, if not pushing for a gold medal, in my mind. The, uh, it's a brilliant game. Like you said, it's it's from the you know it's from the people who've given us Desert Fox and Ace of Aces, loads of other stuff they did as well, um, and they're just they, you can just see the thought process in this um, within this game. You know, Accolade are just they're just giving you this task of hijacking a train and getting it through war torn France, laden with precious artwork destined for Hitler himself. As you've rightly said, it's a, such a smart game on so many fronts, and there's loads of different sections that are tricky, but they're enjoyable to play through. Whether you know whether it's driving the train itself with all the things to do in the cabin, combined with forward and aft views that sport fast and filled in graphics. And as you've rightly said, take note, Southern Bell. None of this seconds per frame nonsense. This is fast. Well, this <laughs> lines, moves fast. just lines. Just lines. Oh, it's rubbish. But this is great. It looks ace. The tree's whizzing past. They've got a really nice sort of visual um, style to it. It's all good. You've got guns to man, maps to keep an eye on, whether it's taking stations on the way, disabling German patrol boats at bridges. It's fun. It's a fun experience that works well and it shows what it shows is a really great deal of care and attention to every single aspect of it the graphics are great throughout every you know from the still screens from the backgrounds to the moving stuff everything's works the way you when you're in the uh, gunner on the top of the train and you're moving your crosshair around and he follows your crosshair just a little sort of you know touches like that rather than just being static it just works and it just it yep. looks so good the controls are simple and well implemented uh, great use of the joystick in the train control and great use, Very of, you know, clever. and even in that main thing, double tap the fire button and up, double tap the fire button and down. It becomes so intuitive so quickly. Forget the keyboard. Why don't more games do this? Why don't more games have this level of care and attention? I just don't get it. Don't but know. It, you know, when you do come across something like this and it has that, you're like, ah, oh, it can be done. You know, thoughtful with one button and a joystick, four directions that manage to do everything. And as you said, you know, yep. flicking around the cabin, 
selecting your bits, whichever one you want to go to, just do, do, do. reminded me a little bit of that Killed Until Dead, which they also made. Yeah, um, absolutely. And so you can see, you know, Ace of Aces, Killed Until you can see these kind of throughput of this design ethos that these people have and how to make something work with a joystick and all this kind of thing. It, it just This seems to be the sort of culmination of it all of like here you go we've learned all these things and we're going to put it all together in this really cool setting this ace thing to play this race against the dawn get a train across france and you know pick your route i've never played this before but this is easily up there and probably above desert fox and ace of aces for me i never played yeah, it. i agree i agree it shows what the machine can do in the right hands and with some time and thought put into the design of the game i mean like you said the way you pick your difficulty level at the beginning by picking the route is so clever. It's one of the... I was sat there and I was playing it going, have they just picked the route? It's my difficulty. And I was like, that is so good in the way that it's... Like you said, it's not just pop up with a pick your difficulty level. It's like, no, pick your route. This one's easy. This one's medium. This one's hard. Yeah. There's a kind of... But you're like, ah, oh, that is really clever. Really clever. Yeah, real pleasure to play this. I'm going to go back to this. I didn't complete it, but I'm going to go back to this and try. I, I want to get that train away from the hands of the Führer. Um, <laughs> it's just it's just such a great game in every aspect. 87% is far too low. This is probably the best hidden gem that we've come across in my uh, yeah, I estimation. Agree. I don't think there's another game that I haven't played that's as good as this. This is ace. Simply brilliant. Yeah, 87% well, is a, is a, they've made off with that and that's like a robbery. They've stolen it yeah. and Nick put it on the train, <laughs> that, gold, that gold medal. They, they got made to the rest of it. France. <laughs> yeah, they did. And they, they nabbed it. I don't know why this, why this is 87%. No, and it know. doesn't make sense in terms of what they say and the, and what they write in their scores either in Zap. It's a little bit of a mystery that, and it, it baffled me when I read it. And, just to come back on the sort of because we I said at the start of it all that there's there's lessons that have been learned in this that have been taken into modern games. Just the way this game engages you and engages you in the theme of the game and sticks to it and sort of teaches you how to play the game by playing the game. It's a very yeah. very very modern way of doing well, it. Very clever. What did the uh, you know that opening sequence where you, you Leduc is going or Leduc sorry is going across the tracks and you've got to protect him and shoot him and you press space bar to duck. I mean, that's yeah. time crisis. Yes, essentially, yeah, actually, yeah, completely. It's a, it's a, it's a light gun game. It's a time crisis in the arcade where you press the pedal to duck, and don't you? And then you let yeah, go yeah. of it to yeah. duck back never, out. I again. never even thought that, but yeah, you're right. You're absolutely yeah. right. There's no it's two ways around it. This there is time crisis. It is virtual, uh, virtual, uh, yeah, virtual cop, and all those other yeah. ones where you did that kind of thing. Here you go. They're just doing it here. But like you said, that the way that they shoot, and it's not just instant death. You can see the bullets along the floor, almost a team style. That sort of getting to you, and you got a bit of time to get there. Or if you're not going to get there, you just duck. Like, but then they might shoot the duck. So there's risk and reward to get put. Yeah, what a great game. What a great opener. Who knew this was coming? Yep. Yeah. But robbed of its gold medal, I think. Another one. I I think so. I think this should be certainly up there with. Yeah, it's one of the best we've played. I think. Um, yeah, it's actually two. This is the first of two what I think are hidden gems in this episode. There's another one as Ooh. well, which I thought was uh, really good as well. But we'll get to that in a bit. Dun, dun, but this dun. is this is probably the better one. But there's another one popping along in a bit, which I was also very impressed with. But this is by far and away, yeah, just great. And it's because I really like Ace of Aces and I really like Desert Fox. And this is just more of that kind of World War Two, you know, and not typical mm. World War Two. Yeah, you know, just you know, using it as a backdrop, but not overly not laying it on too thick. It's all very good. Yeah, brilliant game. What a game! The train, maybe a little bit, 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 bit late, but it got here, and we're glad it did. <laughs> I had to resist so many jokes about the crappy station names, by the way, when I did <laughs> St- that. So you know, I did. Name. I think I did well. Yeah, 
Because I remember every time I've been on a train, um, and by the way, the worst place to do this is if you're ever traveling from Glasgow to Edinburgh, you know, that's the train station names just become Klingon at a certain point. I'm sure of it. It's like <laughs> the next, you know, the next stop here, this train stops at Hoklach, Klakloch, McLichlach, McLach. And then, of course, in our region, you've got, you know, this train stops at Tumnal, Budgie, Little Stitch on the Hem, Sewing Bee, Pigeon, Crest. It's really weird train station names that you're like, what is that a real one? Bread. Fork, forklift. Yeah, forklift, upper forklift, denture. (laughs) (laughs) Lower groping. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Exactly, yeah. Uh, That's exactly what I mean, you know. That's, you know, so I did, I managed, I said I managed to avoid doing that. I've just done it now, but I did resist it for a while. Anyway, that's enough enough for me. Lower groping on the bottom. (laughs) There you go. That's got to be a train station. I don't want to go there. (laughs) No one does. Don't get off there. This train does not stop here. <laughs> we blast straight through. <laughs> oh, dear. oh dear! There we go. That's the train. It's Ace. Go play that. We we highly recommend that. It's very good. There we go. Let's move on to our next one. I'm sure it'll be just as good. And our next one is Magnetron. <laughs> Magnetron. This got this is eight ninety five, sixty seven percent. So um. Uh, you know, do you, remember, you remember Paradroid, don't you? <laughs> I am aware of it. It's a great game. Perfectly represented in 2D, top-down representative visuals. Yes. Yeah, it's great, isn't it? For some reason, you know, Graftgold, Braybrook and Turner, have decided to keep remaking it in 3D isometric style, and I cannot for the life of me figure out why. I just don't no. know. Because the no. Quasitron on the Spectrum that did it first, and now we have this version on both the Spectrum and C64. But it's flick screen, and... Oh, yeah. Um, anyway, yeah, Magnetron is coded by Steve Turner. He did the music as well and the visuals, uh, but was also helped with the visuals by Andrew Braybrook. So it's Graft Gold. Mm-hmm. So after Graft Gold left Houston, they went off and did this because this was released by Firebird, I think. Um, it was Firebird. It was Firebird. Yeah. Yeah. So you play as KLP2 whose job is to destroy a series of space stations that are orbiting the planet, orbiting, sorry, the planet Quartek. Quartek. Quartek? I don't know. Quartek. I don't know where the emphasis is in that word. Quartek. To do this, you must get on board these stations and overload their reactors in order to make them go boom now. Each station is represented in a full-on isometric view, and each room is a new one, revealed in a flick screen way. Rooms will be a walkway of platforms, but they may also include access ports where you can get information on the status of the reactors on board, the droid status, and also some information on other droids if you have the clearance to view them. There may also be a reactor, which looks like some holes on the floor, and the idea here is to either overload it by changing positive or negative numbers at the bottom of the screen and either getting the charge below one, above five, or just managing to shut it down. If I'm perfectly honest, I, I pressed stuff and things happened and I wasn't quite sure why. Because I'd Things do were stuff said. And, yeah, and I wasn't quite sure what was happening at this point. There are also some arrows on the floor. These will push you in the direction they are pointing. Um, and there may also be other droids moving about. And there are 16 types of these. So as in Paradroid, you have two modes, shooting and grappling, or, you know, the interface mode, whatever it's called in Paradroid. Shooting fires a laser of sorts at the droid, um, and if it hits them, destroys them, or knocks them, weakens them until they are destroyed. Uh, but if you go into grappling mode, that allows you to take them over with a small mini game where you have to line up nine icons on the correct lines in a, like a sliding block puzzle type thing. But it, you've got nine seconds to do it. <laughs> it's like, if, if they're not obvious, you're done. Because your brain just goes, uh, over. <laughs> and you're like, oh, you, did, <laughs> you didn't take that one over. Yeah. No one could. No one could because you gave me so little time to, to actually do it. 
There's other ones where it's just like, oh, just move this one. Like, oh, okay. It's very odd. If you're successful at this, though, you take over the new droid and your old one is left there to beam back to if your new one is destroyed. If you fail at this, um, and you will, you die. Um, and it, so you, you blow up. So if, and if this is your last life, if this is your original droid, it's game over. So like Paradroid, you start off with the 001. Imagine, just think Paradroid because that's how this works. But it's but it's more confusing and it's not as well it's not as well represented and just doesn't look as nice. It's really it. Really, you move from room to room. You try and find the panels to turn off the reactors. You try not to get killed. It's Paradroid with isometric trousers on and some more overly complicated mechanics. For me, one of Paradroid's strengths was its ability to be read very quickly. The representational graphics and numbers made it very clear if a big robot was way more powerful than you. And the simple 2D movement made navigation of the craft easy. Couple that with the line of sight mechanics, the easily understood and enjoyable minigame, the informative and clean terminals. And it's easy to see why that game works so well. And this one does not because this one has none of that. Navigation over the 3D space is not good. Who makes a space station with so many slopes and slides and stupid arrows on the floor and holes in it? What kind of space station? Nobody makes space stations like this. Nobody. It just doesn't happen. And who did the decor? Bright yellow into purple into green. It's an Australian's nightmare. Sorry, Australians. (laughs) (laughs) That's a a quote. And I'm not blaming Australians, but it's a quote. There you go. Um, (laughs) It doesn't feel like a space station. And it's more in common with the rooms in Bobby Bearing. Yeah. Um, None of the visual thematic here makes sense in the situation you're supposed to be in. None of it. We've just played the train, right? Everything about the train is consistent and in that world. None of this looks like a space station. None of it. It's just stupid. It's just visual. It's just graphic graphics. It's computer game graphics. The, the bass relief of, you know, that top-down bass relief view of... It felt like you were on spaceships in Paradroid. This does not. Rubbish. The movement is also sluggish. It doesn't feel good. It's a pain to flip between shooting and grapple modes. It feels slow to move between them. Paradroid worked better as you quickly knew how long to hold the fire button down to initiate it. Here, just doesn't feel as intuitive. The graphics, yeah, but they're, 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 you know, they're, they're well-drawn isometric, I guess, but the colours are all kinds of wrong and just further exacerbate the lack of cohesion to the whole thing. The music and sound effects are very graft gold. It's very Steve Turner, isn't it? I mean, that's not I'm, yeah. I'm Andrew Braybrook. It sounds like everything else they've done. And whilst the core idea is okay because it's Paradroid, the implementation here is worse. So I do not really understand why they felt the need to make it. Paradroid exists in tandem with Iridium at this point on a double cassette that you could buy. So I don't understand it. And I even think the Plus version was out by now. Was it Paradroid Plus, the bonus one, the Heavy Metal Edition? Yeah, I think it was. I think that been, was yeah. probably out by now as well. So if you want that kind of game, Paradroid exists and is way better and more enjoyable. Whilst this tries to make it look better, it sacrifices the key parts that made Paradroid so good in doing so. Nah, this was a miss for me. This was pointless. It felt like a. I don't want Paradroid in 3D isometric when it works so well already. If you're going to do something else, do make something else. Don't know why they keep going back to it. No, didn't like it. What about you? No, I like Paraloid. Uh, Paraloid. I like Paraloid. I also like Paradroid a lot. <laughs> um, so this isometric thing, I suppose it adds some of the trappings. It's like one of those things where it feels like Paradroid, but it doesn't really, ha- it isn't Paradroid. So it's a bit like, it has that weird kind of, you want it to be like Paradroid and in your mind it kind of is, but it really isn't. Graphics were reasonable, I suppose, and the isometric styling, okay, but it leans so heavily on Paradroid. It even uses the same fonts and the same yeah. sounds generally. Mm-hmm. So, you know, and I understand Paradroid in context of that. And I guess we've been around the block a bit now. So for people who who not experienced Paradroid, well, why would you think this was, you wouldn't think this was great. At some point, you're going to come across Paradroid and go, why didn't I get that? Because this is a way better yeah. version of Magnetron. 
I don't see any point to this. I don't see any point in this release. I don't get it. Why would you release a full... Why go to the extent of developing a full-price isometric version of a game that's already brilliant and make it worse um, in Uh doing that? I think, like you said, Paradroid's at least... I'm sure it's available in some kind of budget format as well, so it would be cheaper than this. So you're getting a better game for less money. I suppose to try and struggle to say anything positive, there's some interesting elements here, I guess, in how it looks, but it, it plays like a bad version of Paradroid. And that's just a bit unforgivable, really. It's also a bit hard in places for no reason whatsoever, whereas Paradroid didn't have that. Everything in Paradroid made contextual sense for it to be in Paradroid. This just features things that don't really make any sense in the mini game that you play. It's just bizarre. Um, not the weirdest mini game yeah. we'll play for this episode, I guess, but it's certainly a bizarre one. Um, and it's just not, no, it's nowhere near as balanced as Paradroid was at all. I felt completely overwhelmed at times. And that's something you don't really get. You always got, you always feel you've got an escape route and a chance in Paradroid. Here, it just felt like a, a load of clutter on the screen in an isometric way that didn't really make any sense it was just paradroid shaped um, and that isn't good enough for me i'm afraid i'll just play paradroid instead and i think i'll leave magnetron to its uh to the tests of time um so it can mm. you know be gone not for me yeah. this 67 percent. i don't get that score either I, I think it was a it felt like a dodgy copy of paradroid <laughs> so, yeah absolutely no, not, it felt like it felt like people you know, rock bands who try and remake their greatest greatest songs where they've gone past their yeah. Best, Do you know what? I've, I've been trying to figure out, and you've you've actually made me think. It's when you go into like a, a one of those supermarkets and they're playing the nearly versions of the metal tracks. <laughs> yeah. and you, you listen to it thinking, well, that sounds like um, I don't know. It sounds like an Aerosmith track, and then it's like that isn't Aerosmith. That's some kind of imitation. <laughs> and you get, you know, they do that a lot. They used to do it in Tates more often. I don't Tates doesn't yes. exist anymore, but you used to get that in Tates. You'd go in there and you'd be listening to the final countdown, and you think that's not Europe. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's that's that's, just, that, that's Eurasia. <laughs> yeah, some, that's, that's a, some other group. <laughs> so uh, yeah, I'm not a fan. Of this no, I know it's by the same people, which is even weirder. Um, you know, think of new ideas. Stop rehashing your old ones into worse formats. Thank you. Thank yeah, you. yeah, I didn't like this. Bad. No, Magnetron bad, as well. People. Magnetron as well also sounds like a, um, a crap transformer. It does. I was thinking that when I when I saw it, I had no context for it. It's not a game I'd ever come across before, by the way. No, I thought maybe, Magnetron. Maybe, yeah. That does sound like the crappy Transformer nobody wanted called Magnetron. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> Don't bring yeah, him in. Hangs about with Roddimus Prime. <laughs> <laughs> and the other crap yes. ones that no one wants. Can I not have an yes, Opt- Optimus Prime? Here's your Magnetron and enjoy it. Here's your Aww. Magnetron. It's got, mag- it's got magnet wheels. Nobody wants them. <laughs> they just stick to stuff. He can't go anywhere. He's <laughs> very, very bad on metal surfaces. He can't move. They are his kryptonite. Yeah, not good. Uh, yeah, not good. didn't like that at all. Let's move out. Let's nope. get away from that isometric nightmare. Move into our last one for this part. And Graham, it's time to... Roll around. Roll around. This is um, copyright Mr. Chips. Good old Mr. Chips. It is. It's created by Tony Kelly. You remember him? He did Big Mac, the maintenance man. I know he did. Title screens by Andrew Morris. And the musician is also Tony Kelly. So the gameplay for this then. Well, the object of the game, this is from the instructions, is to collect the correct number of coloured crosses within the time limit while avoiding the aliens. You must not collect too many crosses. Only the correct number will do. Just to make your life even more difficult, there are holes to fall down and edges to drop over, both of which will kill you. You can move around by rolling or you can jump to avoid being killed by aliens or falling down holes. On each level, there are nine screens laid out as a three by three grid. On each screen, there can be up to a hundred individual squares. 
There are seven different types of square. They are plain squares used for moving around on um, no other purpose. There are holes. Watch out for those. If you fall down them, it's detrimental to your health. Again, I'm not. I'm just right reading the instructions here. <laughs> there are X squares. That is squares with crosses on them. No shit, Sherlock. And move over these to collect the crosses and thereby complete the level. The squares come in a variety of colors. Um, there's May, <laughs> green and yellow. They're, no, I'm just joking. <laughs> squares come in a variety of colors. You need to collect just the right number of crosses from each color. That's a nice little touch. Flip squares. Um, these are There are two types of these. Both alter the other squares on the level. Grids match with a grid pattern. These change plain squares into X squares. You know, are you bored of me describing the squares? You might, I've only got a few no, more to go. I'm loving it. I'm um, loving it. And vice versa. You need to use these to complete some of the higher levels. H squares. These turn plain squares into holes. And the other way around. Useful for killing aliens. Clock squares. <sighs> Uh, these clock, they stop the clock for a limited time and slow the aliens down. And there are question mark squares. These are mystery squares. They can either award you a thousand points or a bonus life, or they can kill you. I ah. don't like those kinds of squares in games. We no. had those in that bounder game. Mm-hmm. Um, there are different, several different types of aliens, each of which can come into a variety of guises. So keep your eyes peeled. They range from the simplest type, who have exactly the same abilities as you. So that means you're a simpleton, does it? I don't know. Up through the various <laughs> vicious types that turn squares into holes. Uh, so a really mean type uh, bomb that bomb to a really mean type bombs that home in on you square on the square you're occupying. I'm sorry, but that's straight from the instructions. Maybe it's not printed correctly. If you get into an impossible situation, you can abort the level at the cost of a life. After you successfully complete a level, you will have the chance to improve your score on a bonus level. You control things with the joystick um, and you move around this kind of um, isometric view. There are a couple of keyboard commands there, such as pause, abort game and skip a level. Um, you can only do that if you've made it to a higher level, then you can uh, level skip one um, if you wish to. You can't keep doing that, though. You can only do that once. Um, I didn't know you could do that, by the way, and a complete back accident did, did it and thought, oh, what have I done? Anyway. <laughs> what level skipped? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's damn <laughs> useful. It says. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the game is played out in a, a fairly vast, spin dizzy like isometric view where you control the central character. And there's a lot to like in this game. I mean, I've, I've obviously, uh, there's quite a lot to think about in terms of what's on the screen, what's going on. But it's actually a really decent puzzle game behind that. And all for two pounds, remember. Suddenly two pounds. Mm-hmm. So um, the way you play this out, obviously, then you've, you've got to set about your mission controlling the little... Um, what are you in this? I forget what you are. You're just a ball type thing, aren't you? Little ball thing, aren't you? Like a, with a little rotate bit on it, I think. But yeah. you basically control that um, using a joystick. You've got to be careful, obviously, because you can fall off the edges. Again, similar to Spin Dizzy, but not as inertia-based or gravity-based. You've just got to control it around. There are thin, thinner platforms to go on. There are wider ones. There are some that you've got, you've got a little jump so you can jump over things, which is handy when some of the bloody stupid ones follow you around and you've got to try and go... And, catch them out and get to the number of X's and stuff like that. There's a lot to mm-hmm. like here. It is pretty unforgiving and, and graphics in it, I think, are genuinely good. I thought it looked really good. The isometric stuff is nice, fast, kind of tile-based isometric, but it all works really for this. But it is quite hard, so you're going to be at this a while, but there's a lot to go at. And it looks good. And the controls, once you get to grips with them, it doesn't take a long time, but once you get to grips with how it works, so you don't overshoot and all the, on the bloody ramps all the time and do all of that stuff. Once you get to grips with that, it works pretty well. The main thing I, the main thing I kept doing for a while was jump, not jumping when I wanted to because you actually press the fire button down and press the direction and it jumps mm-hmm. as opposed yeah, to yeah. just pressing fire and jump. So it just takes a minute to think about that, but it actually works better because it stops you in your tracks and makes stops you and then you jump as opposed to just jumping off things wildly all the time, which you, know, you don't want to be doing that. Yeah, It all moves fast, which is good because it keeps everything moving at a decent pace. There's nothing worse than a game we are slowly trundling around, as we'll discover later. So this is more spin dizzy than Marmal Madness, and I found myself zipping about and desperately trying to solve things. I got quite into this because it is a quite a challenging puzzle, and you really do want to get into it. Mm-hmm. It's not 
there's not a bug in sight here uh, I could encounter. It works really well. It's dead easy to get into. Yes, there's a lot to think about, but it, you're not introduced to all this at once, by the way. It just just dump loads of aliens on you. You have to progress through the levels. And when you do progress to a next level, you do feel a genuine sense of, great, this is brilliant. Could have done with an option to save your progress or some kind of code, but it, obviously it's 199. That's one of those things that they tend to miss out on these games, which is a bit annoying for this. Yeah. yeah. Um, but there's no bugs. There's half-decent music and sound effects that keep things chugging and chugging along. And what's once more, this is an impressive release for £2. And again, shows that being budget doesn't mean buggered shit. <laughs> I've written that. I actually meant to say bugged shit, but um, I don't know why I've written that. Autocorrect. So. I know, stupid autocorrect. Um, now, I'd never played this before. It was completely new to me. And it once again shows that keeping things to a very straightforward premise, even in an isometric view, take note, Magnetron, um, means that you don't yeah. need lots of complexity. You just need good puzzles to solve and the ability to control the thing you're controlling in a nice way. Yes, there are challenges. Yes, there are things that will annoy you about this quickly, but it doesn't feel like it's a difficult game to... You're not instantly bombarded with tons of aliens all the time. You're not harassed by things that just spawn all the time. There's ways... And by the way, if you go off a screen and you solve a bit of it, and then you, you go off to another screen, then you come back, you, it remembers the stuff that you've done. It doesn't just re, re, reset yeah. itself. And even if you die on another screen and come back to that, it still remembers where you were, unless you die on that screen. Yeah. So... Mm-hmm. There's, there's a lot of good stuff there. It's just, it gives the players some affordance. Again, another game that's doing that's two, not Magnetron though, but these, you know, the train did it and now this one's doing it, but this is two pounds worth of fun. There's a lot to like in this game for two quid. Real, another little hidden gem, I think. And again, proof that these budget games, just if they're done right and they just keep it simple, there's a lot to, there's a lot to like here. I really enjoyed my time playing Roll Around. It really surprised me how good it was. 82% in Zap. Again, I think it probably deserved a bit more than that, really, but that's uh, my take on it. What about you? Yeah. You got really lucky, didn't you, this half? <laughs> I did, yeah. Two good ones. <laughs> it's like, oh, I got Magnetron. <laughs> this is, yeah, a simple but incredibly infuriating and addictive premise is well delivered in this £2 bargain. It's showing more of the devious level design he showed in Big Mac and Video Minis. Tony Kelly has delivered one of the most addictive things I have played for this podcast. I was on this for ages. It's really, it's got a <laughs> strong bookability factor. Literally, I had, to put the jo- I had to put the joystick down and go and do a lecture at work. <laughs> I was like nearly late for a lecture. <laughs> like, like, I was playing it during my lunch break, but I was like, just sat there playing and I was like, it's getting towards one o'clock. I should go do a lecture, should go do a lecture. Just one more go, one more go, one more go. Ah, I've got five minutes to get set up. I had to run. So, But when I saw this was an isometric affair, I was worried that this was going to, going to be a subpar spin dizzy, but it's far from that. It's, it's more like um, something like Crystal Castles on a flat plane. Yeah, it's, it's a yeah good version of Crystal Castles. Though, yeah, not that crappy thing that we got. It's collecting stuff, isn't it? You're moving, rolling over stuff. So it's roll like crystal castles yeah, yeah, yeah. and move over those things. And isometric. We said that was kind of like isometric Pac-Man, didn't we? Sort of idea. Yeah, and that's similar to this. You've got to roll across a set number of crosses on various coloured squares to progress to the next level. And whilst this sounds easy, and the first level does flatter to deceive, by level three, it's getting very devious. Working out why holes were disappearing, and then working out the best way around the level to get just the right amount provides some real compulsive gameplay. Mm. There's those screens where you've only got to get five, but it's full of them, and you're like, at times I was grabbing them and I was moving on to another one. And a hole. I was like, why is there a hole? And then it went, because I've got enough. Oh, okay, now I need to work out how do yeah, I get onto that yeah. screen and off it with only collecting the right amount. 
but I've got to do that four times and then go do a full one. Yeah, brilliant. I loved it. I thought this was brilliant. But it was real like, oh, I get this. The solution is, like I said, it's obvious once worked out, but even with just one enemy on some of the screens, managing to complete it is a tough, tough ask. That one where there's just the rows and you've got to jump between them really quickly, like on the oh, second on the second so level. That's so annoying. You've got to sort of bounce, so bounce, bounce, jump, jump. Because the things follow you, don't they? Yeah. You've got to hop, but you can, hop so you many just, forward and hop back quickly and then yeah. suddenly dive across. It's very good, and it's and but it's teaching you how the hops and how the movement works and everything. So again, you're learning by doing rather than it showing you. So I re- I thought this was ace. I really did. Uh, it's just a it's just such a massive hook of one more go in this. Uh, I just we haven't seen in quite a while. Couple that with simple controls, the ability to skip to the last level you did by pressing F one repeatedly at the start of the level. So you can do, if you get to the third level and you die, you press F one, you start F one, F one, you back to the third level. It would have been nice to have a code system so you could do that if you turn off because you've got to do it all obviously one load. But you know that's by the by. It's a budget title. It's two quid. You can't have everything. It just makes this one of the best budget titles we've seen in my opinion. This is up there in you know with with the with the kickstarts with the thrusts with everything all the big budget you know yeah, big I hitters i this is such a again hidden gem number two there we go never played it never heard of it knew tony kelly was not knocking these things out but d- never came across this and was you know didn't look my kind of thing but playing it was like oh this is such a great premise silver medal all day long in my book <laughs> you know this should be 90 plus 90 yeah, yeah. plus yeah i agree i don't quacks i don't get what's going on with these 80 about 80 i others. mean there's, there's 20 levels to go at it's like it's what we said the, the other week about that because i think this is just equally as good as that code hunter if not better yeah yeah i think it's probably slightly better actually but yeah yeah Keep you going for some time. This what a great little game this was. What well, just a really like you said, simple premise delivered well, looks great, sounds the part, does everything it needs to. No bugs, smooth as hell, fast, smooth. Well, yeah, what a what a fun fun game this was. Loved it. Don't know what's happened to us. I think we've been on happy juice. Yeah, we've up we've upped our average. What's going on? I know. I'm sure it'll continue into part two. There you go. That's part part one done. Two cracking games in that part, and then mm. Magnetron in the middle. Shit sandwich, that was. <laughs> <laughs> Two-word review. <laughs> <laughs> that half was a shit sandwich. <laughs> that part, yeah. There we go. I mean, yeah, in the words of uh, good old Roy from Countdown, say what you see, and we that's saw it. that. That's it. That's your three games this one. We're going to take a break now, and we're going to go wait, and then we're going to come back, and we're going to be looking at both TV and cinema from April 1988. There's a lot to get through. So we'll be back in a moment with all that. This is a spotlight, Graham. A spotlight on a book from our sponsor, David Hearn. And that book is Ruminations of a Wayfarer, parts one and two, reboot. That is more of a mouthful than manoeuvrable armed computer humans. Indeed it is. It's a space opera in the style of Wing Commander 3. And it's about 50p on Kindle, or one Australian dollar. And you know what? It's 700 pages long. What, an Australian dollar? Seems like a lot, that. That's longer <laughs> yeah. than the operation manual for Project Stealth Fighter. Well, thankfully, the story moves along a bit quicker than those vectors, with Jar fighting the evil Tharnians to save the galaxy. I'm hoping he's doing that with his uh, magic harp. His, his, <laughs> yeah, his laser harp. harp. His yeah, laser harp. Is. That sounds more interesting than reading about a wing weenie or MiG-27 flogger. What's a wing weenie? I don't know. It's easy for you to say. Uh, anyway. <laughs> it's not. I don't know what's going on. Anyway, in between taking on the aliens, robots, and the most evil enemy of all, not Neenek, but his own government, he still finds time for a game of mercenary, Escape from Targ 6. 
Well, that does it then. As the mayor of Targ, I must endorse this book, Ruminations of a Wayfarer, available at Amazon or Kindle, much cheaper than a Dominion dart, I tell you. And we are back. Uh, let's get into some film and TV, or TV and film, sorry, for April 1988. So what was going on in the world of TV? Well, on the 1st of April, we had the network television premiere of the Rankin Bass animated film, The Flight of the Dragon, Flight of Dragons, sorry, on BBC One. <laughs> um, a, a film that lives in both Graham and I, Graham and my hearts <laughs> for for various reasons, but um but uh for, for one main one and we we dubbed this um we, did. So we with a microphone and a video recorder that had audio dub on it, wasn't it? Your, yeah, your, it was, was the it Ferguson your, video star. Yeah, uh, Ferguson video star. So you could press record an audio dub or whatever and it allowed you to, to record your sound over it. So we just dubbed the entire film one night and uh <laughs> as you can probably we imagine did. that turned into uh something just what well, we would we, do we ad-libbed the dub over it so oh, it's yeah, not like yeah. we wrote a script and did it we just literally watched it and just ad-libbed dialogue through the whole thing <laughs> making characters. up an entire story created characters <laughs> renamed them revoiced them multiple <laughs> different voices it was uh it was it was something to behold sadly it's demised i'm afraid it no longer oh, our no, version no. no longer exists i had it on a red vhs tape for many it many was. many years and it then was all of my videotapes and a load of bunch of other stuff got damaged in a flood um, oh, and it was lost, I'm afraid. It was lost like tears in the rain. It was lost, but very fond memories. The actual, I remember recording it. I remember, don't know why I recorded it because it's, it's really <laughs> stupid, stupid. It's got the voice of James Earl Jones in it in the actual it's, version. I mean, yeah, yeah. Some heavy hitting voices in there, I think. I remember James Earl Jones was in there. I think John Ritter. I can't remember all the people that were in it. Yes, yeah, and, and, and I remember the actual story of it, the real story, the our version, was was some kind of allegory about um, the destruction of rainforests in the, in the environment. I seem to recall, because I remember this evil wizard that's in it ends up sort of, there's this sort of monologue where he's talking about what he's going to do. I can't remember what the parameters of why the dragons are even bloody involved in it, but there's no. four dragon master characters, one of which looks like a hook-nosed crazy. <laughs> one of them, they all had very dubious sounding voices, a couple of them, as I recall. Yes, they did. Because um, <laughs> I think one, one was on a Chinese dragon, one was on an Indian dragon, I think, you know. Uh, so yeah, I, yeah, I just, yeah. It was, I can't remember anyway, but the... The main baddie in it turns out he's going to destroy the environment and he's had his dreams of turning the society into this big industrial wasteland. And that's as much as I remember, because all I remember really is various component parts of our overdub where we just... (laughs) Which is about horny dragons. (laughs) Horny dragons... We had, uh, you know, blatant, blatant use of lots of the term shagging in there, as I recall. It was very teenage. <laughs> it was um, very teenage. I think we even alluded to one of the characters looking like one of our friend's dads. We did. Well. We called him Sir Harden Dick. <laughs> no, I don't know why. We don't, Just to say, our friend's dad didn't. We don't know why that would allude to our friend's father. <laughs> no, at all. Um, I'm not sure that's. I'm not sure what the rationale was for that, but yeah, mad that it's mad that it was on. That's where I must have recorded it, which is when it was when I had it on. So it must have been then because that's the version I, I recorded. So. It must have been cause, well, the version I had never had any adverts in it because we'd have overdubbed them. We would yeah. have, yeah, because this was in a long line of overdubbing. Because we'd started, I had a few films that I'd overdubbed with Star Wars that you and I did. We did it was this. <laughs> yes. It was my me and podcast friend Gary had done Bruce Lee and Enter the Dragon. Um, had audio dub will abuse. <laughs> yeah, especially when you were us, <laughs> and you yes. have a microphone. It's a shame that the rocking jowls of Dantooine, Tantooine, were, were lost, <laughs> lost the the flood of history. 
I forgot about that, yeah, because we played that weird dragon dance music in it when they were peering <laughs> yeah, over the horizon. It's the rocking jowls of Tatooine. <laughs> exactly. Um, there's some classic little moments. I guess it's kind of a, you'd have to have seen it to understand yeah, the importance but, of Fight yeah. the Dragons, but we it's not like we did a few minutes of that. We did the whole damn movie. <laughs> we did. <laughs> Absolutely. And then watched Hepped it back up. and laughed and laughed because it was hilarious. <laughs> yeah, hepped up on Coca-Cola and yeah, clats. Yeah, clats. Yeah, many, co- many, many, and Coca-Cola. Many clats were sacrificed in the <laughs> creation of that, I, I can tell you. I, know. I think, I think you the... remember it. You, I think you were working when we did that as well, because I remember you nipping off to go to work, come back and was carrying on with it when you got back from work. <laughs> Quite so, possibly. Yeah, we, we were dedicated to that, dub, overdubbing that thing. Yep. Maybe guys. Uh, 4th of April. I, don't, I thought this had ended, ended ages ago. The original series of Crossroad is for the last time on ITV. It did return them in 2001 before being axed again in 2003. Mm, strange. Strange thing to do this. Yeah. Um, I didn't watch it, Crossroads, obviously. Did you not? No, I watched. No, I, I think no. my mum watched it. So yeah, set in a fictional motel um, in the Midlands, Crossroads became a byword for cheap production values, particularly in the 1970s and early 1980s. Despite this, the series regularly attracted huge audiences during this time, with ratings get this as high as 15 million viewers. Crazy, crazy. That is, that is bonkers. Anyway, the reason I mention all that is because. Um, the revival in 2001, there were a load of changes made to the characters in the story, which didn't really please fans. That's why it had a short-lived time span. And they ended it really weirdly. Um, Mm -hmm. So a character called Jill Chance had married John Maddingham and had been widowed, but was calling herself Jill Harvey again in the revival. The name by which she had been known prior to her marriage to Adam Chance in 1983. So they just changed characters' names. In the revival, Jill Harvey owned 30% of the hotel, which was never explained as she had divested all her interest in the hotel in 1985. This is the sort of thing that drives fan, fan, fans of the show crazy. Crazy. <laughs> so the lack of the real links to the past and the killing of a few of Jill a few months into the new run turned many fans away. Popular characters in the new Crossroads included new owner Kate Russell, um, supercilious, um, supercilious receptionist, supercilious, sorry, supercilious, supercilious receptionist, Virginia Raven, Virginia Raven, what are they? and womanizing deputy manager, Jake Booth. Um, anyway, just to want to give you this lowdown, eh? the story of the He's final smoothed. episode. Jake Booth. Jake Booth. The story of the final episode was the revelation that the revived series and glamorous hotel had been a dream of a supermarket worker and crossroad fan <sighs> called Angela, with all the other characters revealed as shoppers. Angela even approaches a female customer in the supermarket and tells her she recognizes her as Tracy Booth from Crossroads. Tracy's mother in law, Kate, was also shown as one of Angela's colleagues in the supermarket. Eh? <laughs> what? What? That's how they ended that. How they ended it? It was all a dream to, from somebody who works at a supermarket. They're trying to outdo Dallas. It's just and the, that whole what? season where Bobby was a dream or whatever. Yeah, but I mean that they carried on with it. This is just like how, you don't end a series by going out. It was all a dream from somebody who works at ASDA. Oh, okay. <laughs> no. uh, it's a very elaborate dream she was having. I have to say, it lasted for years. It lasted, lasted two years worth of stuff and. <laughs> <laughs> back to her maiden name and all kinds of crazy stuff. The only character I remember from it was obviously Benny. But, but he's not in the re- reboot, remake, the reboot. No. A reboot. God, that's probably the reboot. That's, <laughs> Let's call it Jake Booth. <laughs> you've escaped re- from it. I'm, I feel my brain's been programmed. <laughs> <laughs> I've been reboothed. I am Jake Booth. <laughs> it's not a reboot, it's a reboot. <laughs> anyway, it's all a dream. It's all a dream. Yeah, you'll wake up in the morning and you'll re- wonder why. You wonder exactly. I think like to think that they were, you know, that was that's what led to the Matrix films. That, that thought process. <laughs> it's after them. Matrix came out in '99. Maybe the Matrix sh- led to this. <laughs> exactly. Maybe it's all part of the Matrix. 
maybe. It's not like this. <laughs> not like this. Not like this, no. Not like this. Here we go. 6th of April, ITV's chart show, The Roxy, aired for the last time. Yeah. Did you get into I'm not the surprised. Roxy? No. Well, I know you've noticed what it is, but I think, but the program, it, I mean, it, just from the Wikipedia, it suffered from not having a fixed network time slot, and that's always death to any program. You know, yeah, we've seen that many like times. So many sort of American sitcoms and stuff would go bounce around BBC Two and stuff. An industrial, uh, there was an industrial dispute which affected live studio performances. So after just ten months on the air, the Roxy aired its final edition on Tuesday, fifth of April, nineteen eighty-eight. This bit made me laugh. By this point, some regional stations aired the program around midnight like Anglia, TVS and Thames, while Grampian Scottish and Yorkshire have just opted out entirely. <laughs> like, We're not showing that crap anymore. Not There's nothing that, on it. Roxy, no. So, no, no, yeah. no. I had the network chart. I think that's pretty much all I remember of it, and I don't remember watching it really. And it's just kind of an also never ran. No, we're not sure it disappeared. Yeah, it was just ITV trying to do Top of the Pops, wasn't it? Well, you know, we're independent, yeah. so we get the independent chart. But it, Top of the Pops was just set in stone, half past seven, Thursday night. Yeah, I mean, it was, it was off the same... The same production ilk as things like the tube and things like that. It was that there was a sort of a production team that wanted to focus on that kind of live music based out of that sort of Newcastle area, I think is where it was principally filmed, I think. But that kind of, as those programs disappeared one by one, the tube and um, the others, then this was just inevitably going to follow. And I think it was actually the last live show of that type they produced and then they just quit in the end. Mm, yeah, I'm not surprised. Lots of uh, rebellion and discontent on the airwaves as well this month 15th of april the pogues performed their controversial hit streets of sorrow birmingham six a song expressing support for those convicted over the guildford and birmingham pub bombings on the ben elton presented channel four show friday night live the song was cut short however by a commercial break yeah because it was like was a live show wasn't it so yeah yeah not for the first time channel four got into a lot of trouble during a live show and in fact later down the line they got into a lot of trouble with chris evans's TFI Friday. Yeah. TFI Friday had to then be slightly pre recorded because of the perpetual Sean swerving Ryder, from Sean, Sean, Sean Ryder. Ryder yeah. yeah. Yeah, principally. Yeah. So, yeah, I remember Friday Night Live. I remember a lot of the anarchic Ben Elton double seat, double seat, got to get a double seat, you know, bit of politics, <laughs> that kind of approach yeah, to yeah. his comedy and some performances from some odd acts in there. Yeah, but the irony of all this was that, as you noted, I mean, it's about the Birmingham Six, but they're, the Guilford, they were all acquitted in the end. They yes, had they been were after long, a long and there was the film, in jail. What was it in the, the Daniel Day-Lewis film in The Name of the Father and yes. stuff? The Apostle yep. Fight. So they were all they were all acquitted. So <laughs> it's just, okay. Controversial at the time, but you know, hindsight and all that lot. Yeah, um, and just carrying on from that in the same similar vein, 28th of April, ITV broadcast Death on the Rock, a hugely controversial episode of Thames, Thames's This Week Current Affairs Strand investigating Operation Flavius, which resulted in the SAS killing three members of the IRA in Gibraltar on 6th of March. I remember all the Ferrari around the Death on the Rock I, thing. Yeah. I've never actually seen it, but remember it causing I, I think all sorts I, I think trouble. I did watch it, but yeah, there was a big, massive... Because just the government were like, you shouldn't be showing this, what you're doing, you can't be knocking the armed forces. There was very much a, um, a sort of trying to control the message and the narrative. Um, yeah, and then the there was a big inquiry on. into the... Uh, an independent in- inquiry into a documentary. How random yeah. is that? And. And of course, the inevitable result was that everybody was largely vindicated of any wrongdoing. Exactly. <laughs> when you know, you always know Mad. when the government try and get something banned. It's like if 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 they know it's nonsense, mm-hmm. they just go, yeah, go okay. We know it's nonsense, but if they try and get it banned, they know they've done wrong. Exactly. <sighs> just idiots. Anyway, thirtieth of April, Canadian singer Celine Dion wins the nineteen eighty eight Eurovision Song Contest for Switzerland with the French language song "Ne Partez Pas Sans Moi." Don't leave without me. The uh, mm. translation there. I smell a rat. <laughs> I smell a very good singer. <laughs> I smell a ringer. <laughs> it is an absolute ringer. She's from Quebec. What's that got to do with Switzerland? 
Do you have to be from that country to um, well, be there? Well, I thought the... that was the whole point. I mean, I if you could just get singers in from anywhere, why didn't we just get, you know, top American acts in to sing for us? True, true. I don't know. Is she yeah. part Swiss, though? No. She's born and raised in Quebec. She's Canadian. Nothing to do with Switzerland at all. <laughs> but she but might like Swiss cheese. <laughs> she, she really likes their knives. <laughs> she, has, she likes the way they have many, many tools. She likes good spork. You know, she does like a good sport. <laughs> so I've read um, that somewhere. So no, toilet I wall. think. <laughs> so Celine Dion, yes, you know, if you're going to win an international song singing contest, let's get an internationally famous, you know, singer who can <laughs> yeah. sing an eight octave range and all the rest of it. I mean, I'm no fan of Celine Dion per se, but that is clearly a ringer. I mean, Paul Scott Fitzgerald, who was our UK entry that year, I feel he came second. I feel sorry for him. He's like, imagine him looking at the lineup, going, "Oh, we've got a good chance here," and they go, "Who's the uh, who's the Swiss entry? Celine Dion." Oh, damn it. No standard oh, chance. No. It's who's, like who's this, the, it was like last year's. Well, yeah. We came I mean, second last year, didn't we? And But obviously Ukraine won it. Yeah, exactly. But. Okay, maybe that, you know. But at this stage in the 80s, I feel it's, I never, I don't even remember the UK entries, you know, go by Fitz, Scott Fitzgerald because no. I don't even remember the Celine Dion song. So I just, I remember what happened? I don't remember Eurovision from 1988. By the way, the last place went to Austria that year. It was Wilfred with Lisa Mona Lisa. So Lisa, Mona Lisa. Is that the Simpsons song? <laughs> Probably. I don't know. Um, but either way, um, I think it's, you know, if the, it just next year, Switzerland, what, what, who was there singing for the following year? Was it Mariah Carey by any chance? Or <laughs> Absolutely. You know, Michael Jackson? <laughs> no, if oh, you're just going to go hog wild and hire, you know, internationally <laughs> famous singers, just go mad. Yeah, singing for Hungary, Janet Jackson. Exactly. It's just, you know... I don't get quite get how that, but it was a eighties was late eighties is peculiar, wasn't it? For that, it's the similar sort of thing to when you see professional tennis players at the Olympics. Yes, it's yeah. like what are they yeah. doing there? It's, Olympics is supposed to be about amateurs and stuff, but you've got yeah, like yeah. Andy Federer. what's his face, Andy Fe- no Roger Federer, Andy what's his, who's our Andy, the Scottish guy, Andy tennis ball, that's his name, yeah, Andy Strong, <laughs> <laughs> Terry's brother, <laughs> he's really good at tennis. Here, Andy, you're really good at tennis. And- Andy Balls. <laughs> I've read that on the toilet wall as well. <laughs> what is his name? Andy. Oh, I don't know. I want I to say Andy McNabb, but he writes those bloody um, SAS books. <laughs> he, well, he probably could play a mean tennis. In all fairness, he could, yeah. Um, oh, he's completely gone now. Andy someone. someone whoever, you're listening to this probably and going, it's Andy Circus. Andy tennis it's player. not Andy Circus. <laughs> could be Andy Circus in a, like a green suit. Andy no, Murray. Andy Murray, that's it, yeah. And Tim Henman. Yeah, yeah Tim Henman. That's the other one. Yeah. But yeah, you know, you don't. Should, they shouldn't be playing it out there. Anyway, yes, uh, let's move on. New shows. 5th of April, we had Degrassi Junior High on BBC uh, One. Canadian Grain Jill, what it was. Yeah. I, I, did you ever, would you get into this? Did you watch much no, of it? No, I didn't get into it. I watched it for a bit. And then I remember, I vaguely remember an episode where the somebody's car was frozen because it was so cold. And that's me out. So. <laughs> <laughs> that's your breaking point when the yeah. <laughs> this story, this the the climax. of The story is: Can we unfreeze a car? <laughs> the all I remember is: I remember that Degrassi Junior High, I think, was the music, but could be wrong. Could yeah, be making that uh, up. So I don't know. Eighth uh, of April, there was something called Thin Air. I could no find idea. no details. <laughs> no, that's always a bad sign. Tenth of April, Gentlemen and Players was on ITV. Yep. Don't remember this at all. Do you remember it? No, no, and I was never going to watch it. An aspirational late 1980s drama series uh, deals with the struggles and intrigues involving two business rivals, Bo Bofa and Mike Savage, Mike set against Savage. the backdrop of high finance, 
opulent country homes and cricket. Everything about that <laughs> says I'm never going to watch it. Everything. <laughs> That's you're that core demographic, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> yes, I've been wearing to my opulent country homes and cricket for some time. <laughs> Absolutely. No, I do I love a little, little bit. To. <laughs> a leg by. Yeah, I'm not sure who that's for. Really, right? <laughs> 10th of April, East of the Moon. Yeah, don't know. I know as much about that as I did Thin Air. 11th of April, City Tales. Yeah, these are just lost in time, these programmes. <laughs> they just exist and then disappear. Yeah. 13th of <laughs> April, we had Gentlemen and Players. Now we've got Sophia and Constance. Oh, you know, there's, obviously, there's some problem with programming and TV at this time. <laughs> this is a British drama television series that originally aired on the BBC. Six episodes for in this time. An adaptation of the 1908 novel, The Old Wives' Tale by Arnold Bennett, which follows the lives of two sisters through the Victorian era. Boring. <laughs> <laughs> That's the word for that. But this, I mean, which comedian was it that was always joking about kind of British costume dramas where they were also polite to each other? Oh, really? Oh, is, is it... Is it um, Eddie Izzard or Ed, Edwina Quite Izzard, possibly, whatever yeah. is now. Yeah, but it was, I remember coming, oh, sorry, is the window broken? Oh, oh, oh sorry, I shouldn't be here. It's that kind of <laughs> yep. snuffy, snotty people in pants that are too big for themselves, quaffing drinks and going, ho, 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 a lot with top hats. No. It was for a period where we were just known for making these period dramas, weren't it? We all sort of, exactly. that, that Anthony Hopkins one, Room with a View. Yeah, film. exactly. Just, just all that. It's just, I was so bored of it all. It's like, oh, God. It's because you could hire those country houses from the bloody... For about 10 quid, because they, <laughs> they had nothing to do. Nobody wanted to visit them anymore. So we're like, I'll oh, just make shows about them. Put a horse and carriage in the front and call it Victorian Challenges or whatever. That is true. That's what probably what happened. Yeah. 17th of April, we had All Clued Up. Uh, this was a British game show based on the American version, which was entitled The One Million Pound Chance of a Lifetime. Clearly, we were never going to give one million pounds away, so we changed the time. No. All clued up, because we titling it The 500 Quid Chance of a Lifetime probably wouldn't sound quite as, uh, quite as good. Uh, it aired on ITV from 16th of April and was hosted by Diddy David Hamilton. Do you not remember Diddy David Hamilton? No, I don't. I don't remember That's him That's my favourite. He was for famous what? for being Diddy. What was he, though? Was he a golfer? What? Uh, I think he was uh, He was just a presenter. I think he might have been a sports presenter, um, I no. think. But he was Diddy. He was small, but not like Ken Dodd's Diddy men. He was just another kind of Diddy. So he wasn't owned by Ken Dodd, then? <laughs> no, he was just uh, puppeted by him. Because <laughs> Ken Dodd owned those Diddy men. I mean, he actually owned them. Did he own the copyright? Because he, he probably did sue him. No, he owned, he owned the actual, a bit like bit like Willy Wonka and his Umpa Lumpers. He owned them. <laughs> they did his bidding. He could send them on missions and to do stuff for him. They did his bidding. <laughs> yeah, they did. They, they did, yes. We <laughs> did. We did. He, did, he? He, we, did we will did he do. We'll did he do. That's what they'd say. No, that's their chat, their mantra. Well, maybe David Hamilton was the one that escaped. Yes, he could have been the, the escapee of the Diddy world. Maybe. <laughs> the, did, maybe. did he escape? Yes, he did. <laughs> He escaped, but he, he escaped into the most obvious thing onto onto national national syndicated television. It's not a, what you'd call a classic escape methodology if you're trying to no, lay low. It's I mean, not. to be fair, no one's going to watch that. But uh, no, probably not. I I think no. I don't know. Let me. David, what is he? He was um he was a radio and television presenter. He did like loads of radio stuff. He was the David Hamilton. He did. Yeah, he's got a face for. I know he's David Hamilton. He's got a face for radio. I'm sure he did stuff like, uh, oh, weird, looking at, um, <laughs> just looking at the wiki. <laughs> Following his national service, he became an InVision television announcer based in Didsbury, Manchester, and <laughs> appeared with close friend Ken Dodd. <laughs> oh, there you go. He actually he was, was a Diddy man. Doddy's music box. Acquiring the nickname Diddy. There you go. He was he was <laughs> an actual Diddy man that escaped. He was God, an actual Diddy out. man that got out. God, that's mad. We figured that out before we realised it was true. <laughs> that's terrifying. That's that terrifying. Either that or somebody's just listening at my window and it's just retyped Wikipedia really quickly. 
the Diddy men are listening. <laughs> quick, <laughs> quick update Wikipedia. He was a escaped Diddy man. Someone's discovered the Diddy truth. <laughs> did he? Yes, he did. <laughs> Stop making that stupid pun. For God's sake, this is serious. <laughs> now get the Diddy keyboards out. <laughs> Who did that? Did he? Yes, he did. <laughs> oh, oh, you silly buggers. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Sorry, I'll get my Diddy knife out and take it to your throat. <laughs> Harsh. That took a turn. <laughs> I put my tickling stick away. <laughs> you better do. <laughs> Just like a Diddy man, bring a tickling stick to a knife fight. <laughs> <laughs> I'd like to see the Untouchables, but a Diddy version of when I think that about t- that. <laughs> call that a tickling stick. This is a tickling <laughs> stick. <laughs> Crocodile done Diddy. (laughs) (laughs) Now, I would like to see that. That would be hilarious. That would be hilarious. Crocodile done Diddy. The Diddy Man version of Crocodile done Diddy. Be a really small alligator that he has to fight off. (laughs) Yeah, just a tiny little one. Diddy one, one might say. A Diddy, yeah. Oh, there we go. That's uh, all clued up anyway. It was some crap game show that I don't even remember. Finally, 19th of (laughs) April, Talking Heads um, was on BBC One. This is the Alan Bennett plays, wasn't yeah. it? The, the sort of monologue yeah. plays. With Alan Bennett going, oh, I know. And then Janet came round from for tea and I said to her, yes. oh, Janet, what do you what are you doing for tonight? And she went, I'm going to bingo, Alan. Exactly. Yeah. Hey, brought, oh. You've brought two pack of biscuits round. What would you need two packs for? Well, then I told her that if you ever going to have digestive biscuits, she might say, shut up, you stupid, annoying twat. <laughs> <laughs> that was uh, the harsher version of that's after that ended in our house anyway. <laughs> it did. I was just, I, got, I was just, it w- I would find myself sometimes hypnotized by those programs. Just sit there yeah. looking at them, going, "What am I watching? Why am I wasting my life doing this? I could be playing yeah. train." And you could be studying that at A level and GCSE now, because they've now been included on the syllabus. What have Alan Bennett stuff? Yeah, I'm not yes. surprised. Yeah. That's that particular broadcast is on the syllabus for A level and GCSE English literature. Wow. Well, there you go. Used to be off mice and men. Now it's a two pack of digestives, please, and a <laughs> bottle of lilt. Well, what was what was what was Alan Bennett trying to convey with these words of wisdom? <laughs> Just like biscuits. Is it because he's a boring asshole? Yes, you're right, Billy. He is. <laughs> Absolutely. Let's move on to something. He, Let's read Hamlet. And he should have had bourbons. <laughs> yes, the fool. The fool, indeed. <laughs> oh, there we go. That's the TV. Let's move into cinema. God, desperately let's, rubbish TV, that. God. Yeah, let's see if there's anything to get out and go and see. 8th of April, broadcast news. Mm, yeah, yeah. Yeah, William Hurt, Albert mm, Brooks, yeah. Holly Hunter. So, yeah. is this a, was this a sort of dramedy? Was it a dramedy? Yeah, no, yes. I think, I want to say yes. I, it's that long since I saw it. And I mean, and I didn't really watch it for the podcast because the very idea of watching more news, this was made at a time when you weren't saturated with news at every place you looked nowadays we're so drowning in news that we don't need a film about it yeah but, um, it was just about the show and i think there's almost a, a there's an apple tv show now with jennifer aniston and which is kind of a similar idea i think oh is that um, okay and i think these broadcast news things they all fall into parody when you think of um and the anchorman so as soon as you sort of <laughs> yeah, exactly just, just all fall, you know those are parodies <laughs> of this kind of thing so yeah you know, the shenanigans in a broadcast media. You know. I remember it being out, but it was like, I think I might have seen it on video when it came out, but I certainly wasn't going to go to the cinema to see this. Yeah, I'm not a huge William Hurt fan, if I was honest, um, generally uh, speaking. He's um, done some interesting stuff, but yeah, he's a good actor, yeah. but did stuff that didn't really sort of float my boat. He did that weird one yeah. where he turned into an ape, didn't he? Uh, yeah. Um, Altered States. 
Altered States. I think that's him, is it? Is it him? I'm pure, that's him, him, yeah. Actually. Yeah, it is, yeah. I think it is, yeah. And he was also, in the, Marvel, he was also in the Marvel films before he died recently. Oh, yeah, actually. He was, yeah. Forgot he's, about uh, that. He was actually pretty good in that. Yeah, he's the thingy guy, isn't he? The uh, senator, whatever yeah, his name is. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, fair news. 8th of April, Three Men and a Baby. Baby. Yeah. <laughs> Say that again. Three Men and a Baby. <laughs> Three Men and a Burble. Um, yeah, I, I hate that film. I hate it. I was, yes, it was massive though, wasn't it? It was oh. proper huge that year. Is it, who was in it? It's, it's Guttenberg, it's, isn't it's it? It's who made Steve Guttenberg a star. It's Magnum yeah. and Magnum it's uh, and the guy, you know, it's uh, Ted Cheers. And the, is it the voice of, no, that's the other one. I was thinking the one with You're the baby's got a voice. Talking. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah, it's the, yeah, I remember it now. Oh, no, yeah, I wish I hadn't. Yeah, it's just no. a boring one. It's the one, that, the one that's supposedly has the, the ghost child in the background in one scene, doesn't it? Oh, what rot! Just no. it, that would make it interesting. And it's not. It's rubbish. Yeah, yeah I yeah, never yeah. liked this. It was just no. it was just three hunky dudes with a with a baby. It was literally it was literally yep. this was an Athena poster brought to life. Yes, it was. And so, you remember those Athena well. posters with the big chunky. Or the black and white chunky. Yeah, absolutely. And is it is it, is it is it three white guys as well with a white baby by any chance? Yeah, of course it is. Yeah, exactly. So just no <laughs> misrepresentation of everything. Yeah, horrible. No nasty stuff. Erased. Is it the don't know who's the who's the father as well. Is it that's the thing as well? Yeah, so. yeah. Which is a similar thing that's played out in the last Bridget Jones. It's like the last Bridget Jones film. Oh right. Oh, I don't know. I've not, not watched any of the Bridget Jones. Where films. She's she's pregnant potentially by two different guys, and it's all you know fun and games. <laughs> but this one, they don't they end up with the baby, and they have to sort of figure out a way of looking after it and oh, holding it up, and the nappy falls off. Hilarity, hilarity. Yeah. I can tell you from experience. That is not a pleasant thing when it happens. It's not. <laughs> no, it's not. You know, when you're no. spattered with baby turds, nothing good comes from that <laughs> other than panic-stricken gasp of air from the, <laughs> the sheer smell that erases your brain for a moment. I remember the first yeah. time I had to look after my son on my own and his mum had gone away somewhere and he, he was in his high chair and he just pulled his face and I knew what he was doing. And he just done this massive shit because that's what they do. And you're like, oh, yeah. but it was so, it was so big. It came out the top of the back of the nappy smeared. All, yeah. It was just smeared all up the back of the high chair. It was just everywhere. I was just stood there yeah. holding him and I just didn't know what to do. I was like, I don't know yeah. what to do with this defecating thing. It was yeah. one of the worst moments of my life. No one so prepares just, you for those moments. Like no. when, you, when your baby does its first green shit, nobody prepares you for that. <laughs> no, when they've got a bit of tummy ache and their poos go green, you're like, what? there's no manual on earth that prepares you for that. <laughs> when you, no. you, your little baby starts pooping purest green, you're like, what are you? <laughs> Go to archive.org <laughs> forward slash green baby poo. There's nothing, nothing. <laughs> <laughs> nothing helps with this situation, nothing. No. Oh, I knew yeah. I shouldn't have put you in that baby vibrating device that we bought, the chair, the vibrating chair, the vomitron, yeah. as I called it. I knew I shouldn't have anyway. fed you that bag of chilies. <laughs> Here, have some baby rice. Hmm, what is that stuff? No one knows. <laughs> no one knows. Just exists. But enjoy this bag of Bobby's Bombay mix. <laughs> no one Don't knows. Don't worry about having no teeth. It won't matter. <laughs> uh, 22nd of April, uh, Empire of the Sun. Ah, Signor Spielbergo. Yeah, is this is... Do we do... Is it, this is like his, his move to uh, serious stuff, anyway, because we had Colour Purple. Yeah, yeah. And now we have Empire of the Sun. So this is the uh, adaptation of the J.G. J. Ballard book Correct. isn't it yeah yeah off the top of my head if i remember rightly uh i yeah. quite like this is a very young batman isn't it yeah christian bales in it john malkovich in there as well miranda richardson yeah i remember I do, I do enjoy this really well shot um because yeah. it's a spielberg film spielberg. so what, what do you expect but yeah i quite enjoyed this um for what it was yeah 
as these kind of things go. I was a big Spielberg fan. Still am, yeah. I guess. Moreover, let's get into the last one. 29th of April, uh, Wall Street. Oh, Wall Street. Aye. The culmination, I mean, we're April 1988. This is kind of the culmination of the mid-80s yuppie fever. Oh, isn't it just as well? This one, there's a few of them that sort of all spew out from the Hollywood Wall Street teat at this point because yeah. there's a few in there where... I can't remember. There was one with Michael J. Fox in, I think. Where he's uh, Secret of My Success. And yeah, there's a few like this, and this is. But this is the kind of the. This is held up as the big sort of '80s greed movie, isn't it? Because he comes yeah. out with that famous quote in it, doesn't it? You know, greed, greed is good. It, greed greed, greed yeah, is good. Greed, yeah. Well, he's called Gordon Gecko. He's like named after a <laughs> that lizard. That is a good name. That is a good name of a character. But it did also remind me when I was thinking about this. That it's another example of that corporate greed trying to oust families from their homes and businesses because the plot is trying to get the air, the small sort of airline from Martin Sheen's character, which is Charlie Sheen. Yeah. Plays Charlie Sheen's dad in the film, doesn't he? So sort of playing the family off against each other, but they're trying to buy the uh, buy the thingy and then sort of flip it and turn it, you know, just yeah, basically... It's shit it's, inside it, a dealing, essentially. Yeah, it's, it's yes, it's a hostile takeovers and stuff, isn't it? We're going to buy it, yeah. we're going to buy it, and you can't do anything about it, and we're going to kick you out and then just destroy it and make some money from it. Yeah, and exactly. Rip it to bits. And there's a few films around in this time. I mean, this even Pretty Woman has a very rich uh, yeah. sociopathic businessman whose business is taking other businesses apart and selling them off for profit and evil business ban, evil business, evil. Yeah. And this was, there's yeah. no different. Um, so it's kind of that again, flip flip side to, because here we're seeing it from their side, but it's kind of the flip side to those batteries not included, Goonies sort of thing. I was kind of thinking yeah. about those, that where those kind of things, the only kind of things that could save you from horrible businessmen was something fantastical. I don't know what Shaq actually says about the 80s, but <laughs> there was no hope. Well, yeah, it's a lot of it. Even the, even the Blues Brothers has hints of that, don't they? He's got to save the orphanage and get the money together and they've got to do something really elaborate to do yeah, it. Yeah, you know, The man is taking away the orphanage and all of that. Um, yeah. There's a whole bunch of stuff like that. And later down the line, of course, we've got The Wolf of Wall Street, which is kind of a, a modern take of... And a sequel to Wall Street came out eventually as well. Uh, um, yeah, I can't remember it did, the name didn't of that it? Was. Yeah, Wall Street, Money money Never Dies or something, was it? Something like that. And then the ultimate real sort of slap across the face is the, in the end of all this, of course, is that Boris Johnson quoted Garogood and Gecko in a famous speech in Parliament where he said greed is good when Ugh, he was trying to dear. invoke the spirit of Margaret Thatcher. And I'm guessing he was actually trying to do that with sort of a, a cauldron and some socks and just you know, threw the socks in the fire. <laughs> <laughs> probably have, but was, he was ho- probably hoping she'd appear to save his ass because that's what it would have taken but clearly the, the best the best version of yuppies were those was uh, when Del Boy became one in uh, Only Fools and Horses anyway um, yes true and a good parody of it all is um, yeah. is Trading Places as well of that kind of yeah Trading Places was that other one as well that came a little bit later was it oh, what was it was he a yuppie very bad things I don't know if that was yeah I similar I mean film. In all, at this time I never understood a thing about the whole idea of the stock market and shares it was just some alien language and code. I mean, I remember seeing the TV on fair, TV. They'd don't. have the well, they'd have the footsie, wouldn't they? At that time on the news, you'd have all these numbers. You remember they'd do the currency because there's a really good piss take of it in on the hour and yeah. in and we know where she says you know with the, with the currency market cats has lost a limb and, and all of that kind of strange stuff and stuff like that. And it, it just there was a time in the eighties when they'd just come out with this gibberish. Yeah, um, you know the footsie index closed at six points above the blab Nasdaq, and you're like, what language are you speaking? And of course, these films. <laughs> then came along to kind of inform us about what all that was. And it still made no sense to anyone outside of London, I don't think. No, but, <laughs> so. you know, they, they needed they just needed some some things to fill their filofaxes with, though. So, yes, and big phones, said, big massive phones. Big massive phones and filofaxes, which, you know, 
Yeah. Just paper on paper on rings. Yeah, and of course the ultimate sort of savage attack of that kind of lifestyle is American Psycho, isn't it? As a, as a book. Well, that's that's the sort of yeah, that's the ending of it, isn't it? When you when they're sat yeah. there, sort of thing, being envious of each other's business cards. Yeah, exactly. It's just that's the pivotal. Yeah, it's the ridiculousness of it, which obviously was Brett Easton Ellis's book, wasn't it? But yeah, yeah. But yeah, there we go. A lot going on there. A lot going on there in TV films. Alan Bennett boring mm. us. Diddy men escaping. Did he escape? <laughs> yes, he did. <laughs> <God's sake. laughs> <laughs> it cannot be stopped that joke eurovision song contest <laughs> ringers absolutely we had for sure dreaming of crossroads the pogues and God you sake. know death on the rock with lots of controversy going on programs we've never heard of and there we go and yeah so uh that's it that's your entertainment that's what we had going on in april but we could have been playing some games and we've got four more that we could have been playing this month coming up right after this break A shout out, Adrian, a shout out for David Hearn's novel, Escape from the Commodore 64. Out now. In it, watch as the hero tracks down the band members of Dire Straits and makes them play Molecule Man. What? Sorry, that's my work in progress book. Dave's novel is all about Sarah trapped inside a Commodore 64 with no way out. Well, why would you want to escape? Mandroid. Mac, Master of the Universe, and that's just the M's from the last few podcasts. Oh, shoulda. Well, thankfully the games in the book are better, with Sarah and the other players trapped in the bread bin, having to escape from the likes of Paradroid, Roar of the West, Balderdash, Impossible Mission, and even Bruce Lee himself. And Mercenary, don't forget Mercenary, there's a free chippy tea for tourists this month. I always forget Mercenary, there's a good reason for that. <laughs> anyway, this is out on audiobook too. See if you can find all 50-odd classic games. That's Escape from the Commodore 64, available at Amazon, Audible, Kobo, Book Depository, everywhere, even on Targ. But not on Lave or Dizzo. Or Lave, no. Lave to the rhythm. (laughs) That's a huge hit there. Lave to the rhythm. And we are back for our final lot of games, our final four games from April 1988. Four more, and then we're done. We're out of here. We move on. We're getting to May. So what have we got? Our first one, Black Lamp. Black Lamp. It's got 78%, 8.95. I didn't know down, down who released this. Do you remember who released this? Somewhat strange. Uh, I want to say think. Firebird. Was it Firebird? Is it, I think, oh, it is Firebird. Yes, well done. It's Firebird. I might have put that down, actually. We'll get to it. Um, I'm just going to ask a quick question, though. Was this tested by anyone ever? Like, before it was released did anyone test this because i can't believe anyone played this beyond the developers no i just don't which is a bit of a shame really because the name black lamp deserves better than this black lamp is a cool name but this is not a cool game yeah i I like the name black lamp there's something it's that kind of you know a lamp being black there's kind of something sort of dark and devilish about it it's an eyes wide shut kind of idea Yeah. yeah it's just it's just you know that kind of oxymoron really which i quite like so black lamp tells the tale of jolly jack the jester who is entreated with returning the enchanted black lamp of Allegoria mm-hmm. to King Maxim. This quest takes him through rustic landscapes and gothic castles to face off against the fire-breathing dragon and take his prize. His reward is the hand of a princess. It's not clear if the rest of her is also on offer or what princess this is, <laughs> but the hand of a princess is what awaits you should you complete your quest. 
fail and death is certain. You must complete this quest for the land is a very sad place now. Despite Jack's pratfalls and whacking of pig's bladders, this is from the manual by the way, and only only replacing the lost lamps because there's more there's nine of them and the famed black one amongst the crown jewels will bring happiness back to the land. And a princess's hand obviously to Jack. So that's what we've got going on here. The concept here was by Steve Kane and GP Kenny Everett. Uh, okay. And this was developed at Software Creations with a C64 coded mm. by Stephen Ruddy and graphics by Andrew Threlfall with the title screen by Doc and music by Mr. Tim Follin. There we go. Mr. Tim Follin is emerging onto the scene. Black Lamp then is a 2D side on flick screen and both, sorry, both flick screen and scrolling platform adventure game where playing as the jester, you wander around trying to find all the lamps and return them to the chests that are scattered about the kingdom. Jack can only carry one lamp at a time, so the quest is sure to be long and arduous. Movement is simple enough, generally, with left and right moving Jack, left and right, and up along with the diagonals performing jumps or instructing Jack to climb upstairs. So your diagonals is how you jump. There are also doors and gates to go through, and you have to turn Jack to either face into or out of the screen while you're in line with these, and then press up or down, and that makes Jack go through these. It's a tricky process, that is. Pressing the fire button fires a small ball of energy in the direction you are facing. Alongside the lamps are other objects to collect. There are jewels, musical instruments, weapons, food, and drink. If you collect five jewels, this endows Jack with magical armor for a short period of time. Five musical instruments give Jack increased bounce factor, rendering him rendering him immune to fall damage and making him go up and down ladders quicker. Five weapons enables super firepower, where enemies can be killed with one shot. And you'll need this last one, probably more than the most, as this game has enemies. A lot of enemies. The enemies are many and varied, ranging from witches, trolls, imps, goblins, werewolves, and a whole lot more. And they are everywhere, at all times, on all levels, everywhere. They wander the screen and most of them shoot some form of projectile, which, for most of the time, you have no way to deal with because uh, you can't duck, you can't jump over them, so you're done for. You're just going to get hit. Jack has both an energy bar and lives, which tells me that that's, they were well aware of this and they didn't know how to mitigate it, so they just tried to give you as much hope as you could, but it doesn't matter. Both of which are shown on the minimal UI at the bottom. Six lives you have, and once all the energy is gone, you lose one of the lives and start again from exactly where you died, which is, you know, that's a good thing, I suppose. The graphics in this are bright and bold, and they're quite well animated, with all the enemies beetling around in a pleasing manner, and Jack himself being a recognisable red-nosed jester. The music's also very good from Tim Follin, with various ditties played throughout, from the title screen to prepare yourself fanfare and beyond. The music in game is also very good, giving the game a great sense of atmosphere, which is all for nothing once you start playing it. The controls are not the best, but you can kind of get used to them, but they're a tad slow and clumsy, and turning to face a door is harder than it should be, and this wouldn't be so bad if not for the constant onslaught of enemies coming at you. They're ceaseless, never-ending. You kill one, another will spawn immediately. They're all shooting at you, and you cannot avoid their shots, as I said earlier. Some of them are also slightly above your firing line, so you can do nothing about them. As I said, you can't duck, get out of the way of them, so death is always mere seconds away, because your health is just whittled down to nothing, and your lives are gone before you get anywhere near to completing your quest. It reminded me very much of that Odin game we played a while back, where you were wandering around on the map, and then you went into the uh, the, the locations, and we, they said, "Oh, we had to make it in two months." Yeah, it wasn't finished, and it was clear it wasn't finished. And that's what this reminded me of. We're just enemies everywhere, just enemies everywhere, everywhere. So some of the most annoying I've seen. So I've not really got much more to say about this. What could have been a decent platform adventure, it's just rendered unplayable. It's boring and annoying. 
by the unending swarm of enemies that beset you at all times. I mean, sometimes, but I said that yeah, we played that clearly unfinished game developed by Odin, and this is it's just the same thing. Just by and again, it's by Firebird, British Telecom. I can't. I think this has suffered maybe the same fate. Just rushed out. We, you know, and it it also reminded me a bit of Cauldron in its sort of hardness and sort of unfairness. But we've moved on from games like Cauldron. But here we haven't. With I know, obviously, in the UK things are a bit different, and maybe we haven't got access to them. But we're three years. We know that the NES is out. We're three years on from Super Mario Brothers. This is where we are in platform in terms. Three years, Super Mario Brothers has now been out, and it's out in the arcades. There's no reason for this kind of thing to still be happening. None. It's just we, we, one of the very first things we said back, back where, back you know, in the very early episodes. I think it was Entombed that really was one of the first ones to said it about. Was just the constant annoying enemies that bother you all the time and make progress a chore instead of enjoyable. You should be able to work out ways around the enemies, but here they're just everywhere and we're just still seeing it. This is April 1988 and we're still seeing this. Games ruined by this inability to sort of go, you know what, just let them adventure a bit or or not just annoy them all the time. It's got a great premise, this, and the, the presentation's really nice. I did like the graphics. I did like the sound. I think it's really nice. It looks pleasant and anything like that. But it's just the difficulty. It's just simply ridiculous and just renders the whole game an un- unenjoyable, unplayable farce. It's a mummer's farce. That's what this is. That's what I thought. So uh, I didn't like this at all, which is a shame because I really like that name, Black Lamp, and it deserved better. And it's got a really good title screen by Doc um, based on the, uh, the the thing, the way he's got that light of the the dragon's fire sort of thing illuminating the jester laying down. It's a nice, uh, nice title screen. But however, this was not a good game and I did not enjoy my time with it at all. What about you? Uh, I always wanted to like Black Lamp, but I just couldn't find a way in with it, even back then. Mm-hmm. And this is, I always remembered the music. My prevailing memory of Black Lamp is the music, the Tim Foley music, because I really like it. It's got some really nice little interstitial touches. We've used a few in the podcast before now, even. Yeah. yeah. And we'll again. Yeah. It looked quite nice with reasonably drawn sprites, as you say. They look a bit blocky on modern screens, but probably a bit nicer on the old cathode ray tubes. Yes. The music, as I've said, really good. Maybe you could argue it's a tad on the twee medieval side, but it demonstrates how Tin Follin grasped the core concepts and theme of a game and composed specifically for it with stunning effectivity. However, um, that is the only saving grace in what is essentially a very dull, dreary, ploddy game, which, as you rightly point out, I don't believe is anywhere near finished. I mean, dull and difficult is not a school report you'd want, really, is it, for anything? Um, (laughs) No, it's not. It doesn't play very well. Lots of wandering around. Endless enemies means you're on a countdown to death regardless. Mapping will need to be done if you can get that far and be bothered. And it's quite pretty, I suppose, in one way, but all the pretty in the world can't save this from being quite boring, which is what it is. And that's a shame because the audio deserves a much better game behind it. Mm -hmm. Um, It's not much better on the other formats, by the way. I had a look at the Spectrum, Atari ST and Amiga versions. They all suffer from the same problem. And in fact, the audio on the C64 is the best out of all of them. Interestingly, and as as a footnote to this, the screenshot of the game that was in Zap for this issue was from the Amiga version as well. So they didn't actually show a C64 screen. Yeah. Um, Which is a bit shit that to do that. They gave this 78%. I think that's a massive exaggeration for this. I would I mean I'd have given it a decent score for its music and maybe some of the graphics, but the actual game behind all this rubbish, really rubbish. Certainly not worth nine pounds of anyone's money. So great name, great music, everything else, forgettable. And it's boring on all the other formats as well. So it was never a good game. Even this toned down version, it was never any good. So no, no more to say there. Just, no, no. Nope. Yeah. Not good. Just not good, but just, good title screen, as you say. Very good. Yeah, nice nice title screen. Yeah, presentation, but it's just not finished. 
That's shocking, though, about that screenshot. I'm just looking at it now. Yeah. I'm I didn't notice it before. That's clearly not a C64 game. That's like way no, too detailed. version, obviously, and you can tell. But but that might have sold a few extra copies, that, with Zap having the way Yeah, because Jazz Rignall goes on about how good the animated sprites that are. Gone, that's, you know. It gets 86% for graphics. You'd be looking at it going, God, that looks amazing for a C64 game. Yeah, it would do, because <laughs> it isn't. Yeah, because it's not. There we go. <laughs> yes. There we go. Good. That's Black Lamp. We don't like Black Lamp. Don't give any light off. Not good. No. Let's move along. Let's get into our next one. Graham, Stratton. Tell us about Stratton. <laughs> Stratton. <laughs> Honestly, this, this thing. Right. CRL. Okay. Yay. I'm just going to say it right now. <laughs> Hey. So what I can tell you is there's a whole bunch of people involved with this. So it's basically created by something called Imperial Designs. The game design is by Mike Williams and Robert Lewis. The programming is Robert Lewis. The graphics are Mike Williams. The concept was Mike Williams. The sound was Jay Derrett. The assistants came from Mike Hodges. These names will echo if you've remembered the last episode. This is also Zenroom. And weirdly, in the game credits, they list the marketing as CRL. How odd is that? Yeah, so, it's weird. Anyway. That's very weird. Uh, right, I'm going to read off the back of the box because I have to because it's it's hilarious. This. Go on. But it is quite hard to read, so you're going to have to forgive me a little bit because it's I had to find a zoom in of the back of the cassette, so it's a little bit blurry. So the Stratton Air Terminal opened in the latter half of 2870 DR. The Air Terminal was the first to incorporate fully automatic services. The Stratton Corporation were, and I'm not sure what that, I think it's proud, or proud to announce that not one citizen was employed in its day-to-day running. The baggage and arrival departure handling units were hailed as a major breakthrough in passenger comfort. The water systems and waste systems and most of the automated machinery, including the fuel and waste disposal transport system, were built completely below the main terminal levels. Right. <laughs> Just get, bear with me. The security system in the terminal were the brainchild of Dr. Hans Rauer, these systems, controlled directly by the logic units of the Stratton control computer, were designed to right, this is important this, were designed to repel terrorists and all attacks that would jeopardize terminal security. Just remember that. Okay. The main superiority of the central brain over more conventional brains <laughs> and this, this is also on the box, was the fact that part of its program was to protect life by destroying life. <laughs> uh, all right, I'm just gonna go on. <laughs> To overcome the problem of the value of life, it was fitted with units that simulated reason, ethics, and suspicion, allowing it to observe, discount, decide, and act swiftly. (sighs) So, when the Imperial shuttle arrived for the official opening, there was a terrorist bomb planted on board. When it detonated, vaporising the null-G pulse motors, the shuttle dropped breaking its moorings and breaching the terminal's life-supporting atmosphere. The shuttle crashed through three levels and into the main passenger dome before it finally came to rest. The resulting loss of life and physical damage to the terminal main power lines caused a severe trauma to the main brain and resulted in an activation signal being given to the defence units, thus effectively trapping any survivors and cutting off the rescue services. Okay. Okay, no, there's so many, so many crazy things about that. I'm not even going to go into them. <laughs> the idea of creating a powerful super brain with in, imbuing it with some kind of skills of suspicion and making it so that it was meant to be this super anti-terrorist system and didn't detect the very first landing craft of a terrorist incident <laughs> the tells me that something was <laughs> tragically wrong with uh, Dr. Howard's 
Well, great, maybe, Dr. Hansel, maybe, I was great plan. Maybe it was saving lives by destroying lives. <laughs> I don't get that statement. I don't understand what that no means. No one does. I don't think they did. Anyway. No one does. So, Stratton Control Center can be deactivated in two ways. The simple entry code was lost when Dr. Raver, that's the name, died aboard the Empress Shuttle. With his, with his only, friend Moon Monkey. <laughs> stupid. The only other method of shutdown is a systematic deactivation by removing all of the circuit breakers scattered around the underground levels. These are not shown on any of the surviving maps. Useful. Yeah. The breakers appear as raised cylindrical units, which, when removed, stop the flow of data along the main buses. When the last data bus is removed, it will trigger a total shutdown of all mechanical and computerized services inside the tunnel. Okay. Yeah. Right. So fully automated air, air space. Is it air travel or space travel? It's not clear. Terminal is open in 2870. I would imagine they've probably got other ways of... It just seems odd that this, this, you'd build an air terminal, an automated air terminal. Anyway, I'm just, you know what? doesn't matter, does it? Like you said, you know, weed, weed, and more weed. Again, was clearly consumed during the... You know, <laughs> no, no, just... I just, I don't know. Anyway, when you get to play the game... <laughs> luckily, and amongst after all of this crazy, luckily, a grounded shuttlecraft had survived the attack, and that's what you control. Yeah, you do. Even though it said nothing survived, that did, luckily. And yeah, you're luckily. in it. Um, and, you know, you've got to scuttle around the base to deactivate those defense systems that it said, or essentially the, shut down the information flow to the brain. So that's the plan. Guide your shuttlecraft around the maze-like, and why would you build anything like a maze? Just saying. Passages and routes around the terminal, and shoot out the various circuit breakers as you come across them. Blowing these up disrupts the data flowing around the central precious brain. And then you have destroyed them all. The system's shut down. (laughs) All mechanical activity stops, except you, of course, because that would be very difficult, wouldn't it? Maybe. Um, And all the defense systems go from kill them all to have a nice day. Easy peasy, one, two, three, that. Anyway, the game is viewed from a top-down, multi-directional kind of maze view. You move your shuttle around. I say move. I'd say trundle. Really? You do. <laughs> Trundle's being kind. You, 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 tr- you, you <laughs> shuffle your shuttle around with a joystick and press fire to shoot your lasers. There are pathways you can traverse, routes you can't, and there are multiple levels that you can access through these staircase-looking doorways. You will enter the doorways going upwards and sometimes come out of them upwards and downwards. The logic is out the window with this game anyway. <laughs> the levels all seem to look very familiar with different colours seeming to be the key differentiator. So uh-huh. you go, you'll go from green level to red. They all look kind of the same. The bottom right of the screen is your energy and lives indication. You lose energy here by shooting. That, and I'm going to have to swear, is just f***ing stupid in any game that relies on you (laughs) shooting things. Um, So slow clap for the stroke of genius that reduces your energy as you shoot. Not good, that. No. You also lose energy by getting hit by bullets, contact with enemies, and the usual things that you do. Okay, so that's essentially this game. Wander around, try to find the circuit breakers and shooting them out and empirically being attacked. There's these little blobs that you come across. I don't know what they're for. It's never really explained. They just make a bleep bloop sound when you go over them. I'm guessing that's good. I don't know what they do. No. Um, I, I was just wandering around. Collect, aren't you? Aren't it? I don't Maybe. I was just wandering around slowly, aimlessly, <laughs> for ages, <laughs> just wandering around this game. It's the most lifeless experience. It's life draining. The main graphics here are actually pretty good on the main sprite. It's quite nice looking. Um, it's clearly it's one of its strengths is its kind of graphic look. It was a one to eight variant of this. I couldn't, but what's that means? Not a great deal extra, I have to say. Um, the maze levels kind of look the part. So they do look like a maze, albeit a very samey colored maze, but okay. The main shuttle sprite is actually pretty good. Um, a nice sort of high res 
background with a sort of medium res sprite overlaid on it, I think, to give it that kind of look. It has a nice look. Might even a good ocean sprite. They tended to do a bit of that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. That's as much as I'm ever comparing it to. I think this could have been a half-decent shooter if they'd have actually thought about making it into one, but they didn't. And so it's just let down by loads and loads of different things, aside from the a complete crazy premise that means literally nothing. <laughs> and the graphics being generally okay. The audio is not. I find it pr- particularly challenging to get through the levels with that raucous cacophony that accompanied this game. So that if that doesn't drive you mad, the slow movement of your shuttle will, because it just trundles slowly and methodically, plods around. You can't zoom or zip in this game. It's, um, it's a big track simulator. Yeah, it is big track. Uh, like, oh god! I just want to get. It's a maze game, and you just trundle slowly around. It's, it's just, with big track, a really boring big track simulator. Why did why they didn't license big track for this? I don't know. Because well have. So because of that, the levels really drag on and on and on, <laughs> and you're just tired of trundling around this endless, it's so monotonous and so dreary. There's no levity in this. It's just utterly mindless, dreary, repetitive, driving around, can't go that direction, move slowly up. Sometimes you can't even shoot in the right direction because the way you turn the vehicle doesn't work properly in that way. So nope. you find yourself facing a block that you need to shoot, and you can't because you sort of feel like, oh, it's just stupid. Stupid! It's so boring. Turn around. Gonna go the other way. Oh no! I've got to back. I can't get past. I've got to go back. To go back. Oh god! It's so mind-bogglingly dull. It's boring. There's no upgrades here. There's nothing much to do. Endless, repetitive, boring trundling about. (laughs) This game quickly goes from strat on to strap on, and I don't want any part of that. Um, There's also a one to eight k version of this, which, by all accounts, had more maze and slightly more animations in it. Whoop de doo. More shit flavoured ice cream is still shit. Yep. Avoid this. Ten quid, thirty-six percent it got ends up, I'd have given it a lot less. Awful. Just bloody what is CRL, honestly? You said last time they're trying to compete for the crap game crown. They're winning. I think they're they actually winning. winning now. Yeah. What did you make out. of this? I was I thought you were gonna go strat on, strat off, but um another CRL game where whilst this one it does it looks much nicer for the most part than anything else we've seen for them, it really suffers from boring design and monotonous play mechanics. I mean this to me, it flatters to deceive when it first boots up with some very nice I thought nice title screen. I thought the music I actually production quite, was nice. I thought the music throughout was actually pretty decent, actually. Um, mm. Well presented front end. Getting into the game, you're initially impressed by the detailed visuals, all the animations on screen, all the sort of, you know, the superfluous animation, the things opening and closing and things moving about. And it looks, I think, all right, this looks quite nice. And as you said, your little buggy or whatever it is is well drawn. Yeah, great. But those then those enemy sprites come on and it's really they're really out of place. Those yeah, they're not as well bland. drawn. <laughs> they're really blocky and they're like, oh, they don't look good. They look like something out of another game completely. And again, why are they in there? What what are they? What what exactly are they? I mean, you're already getting shot at mm. by the turrets and stuff on the thing. Just leave it at that. No need to put these crappy sprites in. I suppose you know if there were, if. But then it'd be even less to do, wouldn't there? So who knows? Oh, yeah, that, once you see those crappy sprites, then you start to move. And what a dull maze game with annoying mechanics like dying because you made contact with the building for too long. <laughs> who thought that yeah. was a good idea? Oh, you've pushed up against the building for a bit too long. You're going to blow up. Death. That doesn't it's, happen. It's, at a certain point, I was thinking, sweet death. It's <laughs> sweet death. <laughs> and you're not fast enough to outrun the bullets. There's dull levels to meander around. Yeah, there's the C128 version. I didn't play it, though. It shows the dials down the difficulty, but I can't imagine you could do too much of this to make it in any way enjoyable. Bland and boring. Even the name is dull. It sounds like a biography of some politician. <laughs> it does, yeah. I did wonder what it was going to be when what's I saw it, Strat. What is it? Like, what is Strat? What does it, I can't even... What's, what does it mean? Is it the name of the it's terminal? The name, it's the name of the airport terminal, yeah. Stratton Airport, yeah, I guess. 
why is that exciting? <laughs> it's not, though, is it? This, this would have been a great Big Trek simulator because if those round things that sort of shaded them in red, you could have been going around picking up apples for your dad. Yeah. And that would have yep. been way more enjoyable than this. Yeah, you, got program it, you had a little programming section. You had to program it around to stop and get around. Big track simulator. They missed a real trick here. <laughs> they've been on, they've been onto something. Dull, boring nonsense. Turn right for for what? <laughs> <laughs> for what purpose in this game? Just yeah, for trundle, 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 trundle. <laughs> it really was. It's like you know. Like a golf cart. There's no progression indication either. You just never felt like you were getting anywhere. Just trundling on and on you went. (laughs) Just endless. I mean, I went to one level. It was like a blue level. And I went, oh, maybe I'll get a bit further. And then I went through the staircase and it was like, Grey level. I was like, oh god, it's even more boring than the last one. <laughs> to make how do you make a boring game even more boring? Make it all grey. Yep. So oh god, I felt myself going grey. I'm like, oh this game. <laughs> yeah. My eyes have got cobwebs in. What's going on? Been proper John Majored, this one. Just just it was it was just horrible. Stratton. It does sound like a biography of someone, doesn't it? Either that or like a, an accounting firm. Like there's nothing exciting yeah, Stratton, in that well, name. And it's the name it's the name of the guy in um, Wolf of Wall Street, isn't it? Stratton? Then is this company Stratton something? Possibly. Sure it is. I can't remember. Anyway. I lost all That's will to, to remember anything after playing this. Yeah. <laughs> it erases your brain. <laughs> so, well, it would do because you're not part of the main brain, you see. You was trying to. <laughs> Absolutely. I'm not killing people game. to let them live. <laughs> Whatever the nonsense that shit is. <laughs> Honestly, it's on the back of the box. It must must be must be real. It must be real. Oh. Anyway, there you go. That's Stratton. After the higher the first part of this episode. We're really into the doldrums here, aren't we? Oh, yes. Uh, It'll get get better, though. I'm sure it'll get better, yeah. Let's move on. Let's see if it does get better. (laughs) Because, Graham, this is called BMX Hyperbiker Simulator. How can it not be better with a name like that? Because that name screams aceness, as far as I'm concerned. BMX Hyperbiker Simulator. It's got everything we love in in a name. Nonsense. Hyperbiker. Hyper. I'm hyper. It's got, you know, and strangely, it's not from Codemasters, even though it's got the simulator Good. in the title. Uh, this is a budget re-release, a re-release of the 1984 game Hyperbiker, which was originally released by PSS um, or Personal Software Services to you and I, which sounds sounds really dubious. Dodgy. Um, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but for some reason, as if inflicting heli drop on us, Top Ten have dug this up and foisted this upon us as well, um, and stuck the words BMX and Simulator around Hyperbiker. Like, Okay. Where were they getting these licenses from? Car boot sales or something? I don't know. Just like trolling secondhand markets for sort they of also X released games. One we didn't look at because it was in the adventure title. They in, they uh, released an adventure game this this month as well called Skegpool Rock, and they got the name as a cross between Skegness and Blackpool. It says in the thing it says <laughs> um, just, it says I actually felt like if they'd taken the other words around, it's like. <laughs> It don't get a good review. Um, anyway, this Shock is yeah, Hyperbike, BMX Hyperbiker Simulator. So originally, like I said, it's from 1984, this. So set you know expectation levels to 1984. This was coded by Tony Stoddart and has music by David Dunn, I think. Seemed to sort of say that, but I'm not quite sure. And I guess for 1984, I guess it doesn't look too bad, but it's got far more pressing issues than what it looks like to contend with. I'm going to read the back of the box. I like these when we get these good back of the box nonsense. This says now you can, so this is the top 10 releases. Now you can experience all the thrills, spills and skills of BMX racing without leaving your 64 BMX hyperbiker simulator features six in capital letters events for up to four people for up to four people track features. There's no full stop or anything here include tabletops, whoop de doos ramps, 
speed bumps, ditches, <laughs> and drop-offs. Take control of pedals, handlebars, and brakes in the straight race, obstacle race, wheelie, long jump, high jump, and bunny hop. Good luck, dirt sucker. What does that even? Who wrote that? <laughs> Some idiot. I don't know. So it dirt sounds like it's a lot. Dirt sucker. Yeah, you can do whoopie doos. So it sounds oh. like there's quite a lot to do here. So maybe for a couple of quid, this could be okay. So when the game loads, you have a very, very busy title screen. <laughs> it's kind of hard to see what to do. So busy. Navigating that title screen left my brain hurting. You have to navigate to the left of the screen with the cursor keys, and this allows you to input the names of up to four people. And you have three methods of control here. Pressing one means you pedal with left and right waggling, so your standard waggle. Pressing two allows you to hammer the fire button, and pressing three allows you to smash the space bar. So something's going to get broken. Um, you just choose which which thing is going to get broken here. You once done, you tap F seven to start to start to go to sort of yeah. This is people are racing. Then you have to press space, and then we're into the game. There's far too many button presses. It's all over the place. Crazy. When it loads up, the first game you get into is the straight race. So two riders in red and blue jumpsuits with matching helmets greet you on the left of the screen. The course itself is a boring pseudo 3D grey pavement. The, gra- the crowd is the floating faces of nightmares and static birds and clouds can be seen beyond them. Lights count down from red to yellow to yellow again <laughs> and finally green and away you go. A jaunty tune starts and the whole problem of this game really greets you. It's almost impossible to go fast enough using any of the control methods to qualify. You have to do 400 meters in 47 seconds. I managed it twice in probably over a dozen goes because I was going to damn well do it using all the control methods. I'm quite a fast finger button, you know, fire button presser. It's one of my things because I've got a weird, weird lock thing in my in my one of my fingers, so I can hammer the fire button really fast. I was nowhere near it. Just ridiculous. But but waggling is all over the shop. There seems to be no way to judge what speed to waggle at or tap the joystick, as you just seem to speed up when you tap fast and then you slow down or vice versa and it seems dumb luck to find the exact rhythm to progress i don't know if there's a because i was waggling i don't know there was one bit i was like uh, 40 seconds and 100 meters left to go and i must have at that point hit the, the magic rhythm because i suddenly just took off i was like Bram! and I, I completed the last 100 meters in five seconds i was like this is stupid <laughs> i don't know what is going on here there's nonsense uh, the, the distance between the riders is shown in the numbers on the UI at the top. Because up there, you've got the riders' names, the time, the distance gone, and then a massive timer and the qualifying time. <laughs> the time is shown three times because you've got each rider's time and hey. the timer is going up. Well, it's too much time. There's too many time things up there. You only need one, so it looks stupid. Should you get past this, the thing is that no matter the distance between you and the other rider, and the computer rider will leave you for dust... Uh, you're still shown together until the finish line when inevitably the computer player crosses the line and you just stop (laughs) pedaling on the spot. It's one of the most ridiculous, stupidly things because obviously they've not done a split screen thing. So they have to sort of some way kind of demonstrate that you are 40, 50 meters behind. So the only thing is there's a distance at the top counting down and you're just pedaling on the spot until you can try and get those last sort of three meters and cover um, cover the distance it's it looks stupid should you get past this i did twice as soon as the next event started i instantly fell off the bike at the start of the next event and that was it <laughs> game over i was like no what are you doing this game is so annoying i don't get it i didn't i don't understand this i just gave up i don't see the point in this this was a pointless re-release Digging up old software and putting it out at budget prices can work see firebird's release of hero and park patrol for example good that's not bad 
But digging up this, sticking the words BMX and simulate at the start and end, it's just insulting. As a basic waggling take on the BMX craze, yeah, it could have been okay, but the archaic control method and ruthless qualifying times make this a ball ache to play. So some people may get some masochistic fun out of this, but not me. And I turned this off hoping I would never have to think of it again. They didn't. You know what they didn't even do? They didn't even change the cover from the original as well, which shows how incredibly cheap the people at Top 10 were. Though, as far as I'm concerned, this is just more example of awful business practices on display. I can only assume that, like, that Helidrop was from 1983, as we said, because this is just more, you know, ancient budget crap shoveled up and forced out. And to stick it like with a BMX simulator, because we've had BMX simulator from Codemasters and sort of try and tap into that with this garbage. Nah, sod top 10. They're just awful. This was a crap game. Got 19%. Probably too high. What do you think? (laughs) Awful. (laughs) This is a a blocky, nasty nightmare. There's no fun to be had here. A ton of options that almost a borderline impossible to really activate. Cannot hide what this game is which is just utter crap. And I get it, it's old crap, but crap nonetheless. Graphics reminded me of Milk Race. That wasn't a good thing at all. Yeah, yeah, they did, yes. And there's little else to say about this. I didn't have any fun playing it. There was nothing entertaining about it, apart from the stupid name of it. I know it's budget, but no, no, and thrice no. This was just god-awful. And yet another one from this crazy company that scours the second-hand markets and car boot sales for licensed IP that's fallen behind the radiator somewhere <laughs> and decides to release a budget in in a vain inference that some fool might spend two pounds on it and not bother taking it back. Awful. Just awful. Awful. A reminder of why these are the reasons why budget games got the bad reputation that they did when in the same, you know, very same episode, we've got things like roll around. Um, yeah, it's just, a, they're embarrassing. They're embarrassing. This company is embarrassing. It's releases are embarrassing. And this is a particularly embarrassing thing. I hated it. And, and especially when you've got BMX kids, which is also a budget game, which is much better than this in every possible way it could, but it could be in every direction. Yeah. This is just adding BMX simulator on it. It's just trying to cash in on someone else's IP and someone else's popularity. It is awful. Just It's just awful. No more to be said. Yeah, no more. Let's leave that in the dustbin of history and let's move along because we've got one more game, our final game for April. And Graham, that game is Firefly. It is. <laughs> Waspish music. So I'm going to read from the instructions because we like to do that when we have them. We do. Um, so beat the system, the story so far. Like a virus, a plague, maybe. An evil army begins to expand, uncaring, uncontrolled, unstoppable. Mankind is all but extinct, the earth long since destroyed. A mechanical, maniacal empire spans the heavens. Huge chrome colonies clutter the solar system. Home, not for the crew of the interstellar ship, Firefly. Returning to Earth after decades exploring deepest space, can you pull the plug, pull the wire wall over their eyes, turn out the lights, question mark? Make any sense of this crazy? Because I'm pretty sure you won't be able to. <laughs> no, I don't know what's going on. Um, just in case you're wondering uh, how to load this game, this is maybe like position the cassette in your Commodore recorder with the printed side upwards. It actually says those words. Anyway, I'll skip that part. Um, so uh, how to be a firefly. As the commander of Firefly, your task is simple. I can tell you, right, that's a lie. It's bloody well not. No, it's um, not. You must destroy the mechanoid system framework developed by the enemy by removing the vital energy source used to sustain its existence. The framework is represented on the screen as a system of grids, each being one of the following, a robotic-occupied con- area, an unconstructed region, a robot-free dead zone, a planetary sector, 
the system power source. The system grid is developed randomly each game. You always start in the dead zone on the far left, ready to battle your way to the vast occupied area towards the power source. This reminded me of a battleship version of Blockbuster in a weird way. Um, Your movement is restricted to the dead zone areas and can therefore only enter a system which is adjacent to one. You do so by positioning the firefly on the appropriate square and pressing fire. You cannot enter a system with a planet at its core. These are the main mechanoid colonies and are too well protected against attack. The unconstructed regions are the least protected by the robots. In order to take over one of these, you must override its intrusion detection alarm system. This act can only be done manually. If you fail to do this correctly in the given time, a chain reaction will occur causing the robotic system to jumble itself up, forcing you to retreat to the far left of the grid. The far left of the grid, Adrian. The far left. So, entering a robotic occupied area, the solid system chart will be replaced by a close-up view of the area with one of the Firefly battleships in the centre. The scanner at the bottom of display will show the entire area and your battleship observed from a distance. Your ship is specially equipped, (laughs) specially built. Um, It's a real real humdinger. It's a (laughs) a real real winner. winner. (laughs) It's a mighty handy item. Uh, With an iron thrust drive and octophonic plasma disruptor balls, which, if used correctly, can get you out of impossible situations and play havoc with the enemy. Each area has four main energy points, the slow flashing dots on the scanner, and two teleports, the fast flashing dots. These are protected by a selected number of robots, which, because of their size, will not show up on your radar. The tiny, you see. Once destroyed, these robots may deposit some useful items. To take over the area, you must destroy all four energy points. You accomplish this by entering each point and trying to overpower them. You can only do this after collecting four excess energy units, otherwise known as yokers, which are constantly being dispelled into the playfield by each of the energy points. Teleports can be used to move your ship into inaccessible places, or for more economical travel around the playfield, or to be positioned randomly in places you've no idea where you've actually been placed. (laughs) However, these are robotic devices and may be difficult for some humans to operate. Your ship can only be damaged by robotic collisions, mechanoid missile attacks, incorrect teleportal operation, failure to overload energy points, entering energy points with insufficient energy units. The ship is lost when it can no longer sustain any more damage. Thus, the occupied area remain in the clamps of the robots, but if you have any ships left, you may enter the same system again or choose another route through the framework. Can you succeed where the entire human race has failed? Therein lies the instructions. So this game is represented in sort of a a series of different ways. Firstly, you've obviously got your kind of blockbuster grid where you choose your routes from left to right to try and make it across the system. Mm -hmm. You go onto another square and you choose it. Now, we played a game... And I couldn't remember for the life of me what it was that was similar to that bit where you went onto a map and you um, chose a grid and it was like red, red little lead. mountainous areas. Yes, there's something like that. One of those, I think. Yeah, red so light had, had the blockbuster. It was the isometric sort of ball one. And you yeah, chose it was that, the- but I'm sure there was another one. It was like, because you went on like a top-down view over the planet surface. The one you liked, actually. I can't remember for the life of me what it's called. It doesn't matter anyway. So you've got that kind of view. Oh, nuclear embargo. Yeah, yeah, actually, yes, that's the one. Um, The main view of the game is very similar to Mutants. Yes, Um, it is. So it's kind of a top-down 360-type shooter. In fact, Hunter's Moon and Mutants is probably really the sort of, if you you could draw an arrow from this game to its direct influences, it would be those principally, especially Mutants. Um, And then interspersed with this are the sort of mini micro games, like the ones that you get inside the transport or the ones that start you off on the level where you have to set the little thumbs up by random chance, really. Mm -hmm. Um, And so you sort of make your way around trying to find the four, what do they call them, Uh, things that are spewing out these little sort of starry things. So you have to find all four of them, yokers. You have to find the yokers that are being emitted from the energy block things, shut them down, and then 
try and sort of navigate the nuances of the level all the while being attacked mercilessly. And essentially, that's kind of the game. And it plays out. There are some mini games that you're going to encounter, which one of them is kind of a choose the thumbs up. Another one is kind of a, it's like a rotatey dot thing. And I can't remember if there's another one as well. Probably is. I found myself getting quite frustrated with this game quite quickly and quite fast for a number of different reasons. Principally, um, all of the presentation of this is actually pretty good. I, I think the graphics and sound are a real strength to this. The graphics are really good in this. They look they really look the part. The scrolling's really smooth, really nice design. And everything about that part is really good. But you won't be able to escape this overwhelming feeling that you've played it before because it's very similar to Mutants, although it's actually, the graphics answer is probably a bit more akin to Hunter's Moon. But either way, it kind of has that vibe about it. The main shooting part and the zooming about and the play rate, I think work pretty well. And the graphics are good. They're really good in that. I thought the shooting up part, no problem. The idea in principle and the way this controls and it feels all good. That's all, it's all kind of there. And there's a lot to like, but sooner or later, you're going to hit the key issue with this game, which is the terrible random chance mini games that occur throughout because mm-hmm. they're really stupid. It baffles my mind to think that someone will go through all the effort of creating something like this and have all of that production and all of that good stuff and underpin it with stupid chance-based click on the dot, select the thumbs up, random chance things that occur throughout the game. And these are blockers for the game because eventually you start to hit these and when you don't do them, the payoff is quite it's quite negative for you in in terms of how you play through the game. So eventually you're going to catch that running into these things because one of them is like, you see your ship is in the center and there's a series of dots around you and you've got to click on the right dots. And it, so it goes around from, ro- rotates clockwise at a certain speed and then it's a bit like the click the lock game on mobile. Then it goes yeah, around the, the alternative the, direction. Yeah, the alternate from red and green, don't they? It's red, green, yeah, red, green, and then red, it sort of speeds up and then by the, th- yeah, by the third time it's kind of whizzing around really fast. And okay, for maybe the first few times you do that, but it gets it starts to grate after a while. When you've got to pick the right thumbs up and get the right quick notion for one of the other levels, I've just found them frustrating because they, they stick out in the game and they throw you out of the mode of the game. If it had just been diving around these kind of landscapes and having these enemies to find and trying to navigate your way through these little energy blocks and doing those things and the teleports making sense, because if you go into teleport, you've got to actually go through one of these tests in order for it to teleport. Yeah. Now, some of the areas in the game are not accessible unless you go through that teleport. So you can't complete <laughs> some of these levels without that, which means that you, this provides, if you can't get past that, that sequence, you are blocked at that point and they're not easy to get through all of these all the time. And I think they actually ruin what could have been a really, really good game in the end. The audio from Fred Gray is good if a tad zizzy, but the sounds and music all kind of work with it. The sprite <laughs> design is... Zizzy, yeah, because it's like um, and the sprite designs all in the background, they all work really well. And a good selection screen, a good idea. The principal parts of this kind of make sense. But as you play the game, those niggles will sit in. Jazz Rignall points it out. He actually says that it all boils down to a game of chance, not skill. And my question is, why do that? Why did they do that? Because reaction tests like that are the worst things to have in a game, mini-series games like that. Because it's not skill-based then. It's just it's just whether you can press the right coloured dot at any given moment. That isn't what this game was really about. The game was a big shooter-collector thing. Stick to that. Even arcades avoid that kind of mini-game super logic like that. Because they know full well that they're, they're a key frustration point for gamers who don't like them. And it puts them putting another 10 pence in. Only fruit machines like that kind of thing. So mm-hmm. great presentation. Very slick coding. But here it's been ruined by stupid game design decisions was it too much like mutants or hunters moon maybe and they thought they better throw something in to make it a bit different i don't know it's a sad thing actually because i think there's some really good stuff in here the spectrum version of this is quite interesting as well that's got really really great music in firefly there's even a little animated piano in it and everything and i mean it's not often you say great music about spectrum thing but again i think there's just it's just missing the point of what this game should have been about and ruining it and i felt like um I really wanted to like Firefly. I, have, I had all the trappings of something I could have really got into. But after the third 
fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh time of not getting through a teleport and not ending up where I wanted to be and not getting it right and hitting some other barriers. Uh-huh. I was just like, I've had enough of this now. I've had enough of being punished for things that I can do little about because I cannot get better at that because it's not a skill. This is just luck. And this game, game's progress should not be based on that. And I think that's a great shame. So that was my take on it. 79% it got in zap. Yeah, maybe for what it what for what it's for what is there, maybe. But there's a lot of problems here. What about you? Pretty much bang on exactly the same. It's an interesting game, this that obviously owes a lot to mutants. And you're right. It, yeah, I didn't pick up on that. But yeah, Hunter's Moon as well. It sits somewhere in the middle of it, doesn't it? Because it's got the sort of chunkiness of Hunter's Moon, but the construction of mutants with the sort of yes. mini mini mazes and stuff. So it's kind of similar in that style. But I think it's, it's, it's a little more forgiving than Mutants was um, in its main oh, yeah, play. Yeah, in its main play, Mutants was rock hard, obviously. Yeah, as you right said, the visual is a really nice, really good sprite and level design, um, backgrounds and everything. They're really nice, well drawn. In, you know, individual levels looking, you know, very well shaded, very nice style. It's got a great individual look. This the whole thing is presented very well. The music's very nice, good title and high score music. Similarly, the high score entry is well done with the vector graphic letters morphing from one to the next. I like that. So there's loads of good presentation in this. Um, and it's clear that a lot of thought has gone into it. But then we get to the actual playing of it and, and navigating the game itself. And whilst at first this feels good to play, I liked the, um, the you only have the eight, the, the balls rotating around you in different formats and that's your bullets and you've got to kind of wait for them to come back. It's almost like, you know, sidearms couldn't mm. manage with the rotating balls but here we have them you go you can do oh, it yeah. see, you can do it they're a little bit flickery but they kind of work and i kind of like that it's a bit different you kind of you kind of manage your sort of out your sort of ammo counter ammo level you can kind of see it um that's quite good it just gets a bit dull after a while because there's not that much difference between the different levels you progress through by the niceties of the visuals themselves mutants had a real variety between the different organic levels but this just feels like the maze level of that game so that because you had the 16 thingies and you had that one which was a maze it just feels like that maze level writ into an every single level is that and as you've rightly said it's also a shame that the later generators that need to be destroyed come down to more luck than skill as the, you get to the fourth one the flashing hand is so fast you just you just got to jab at the fire button and hope yeah it's just luck it's just complete luck um and the same goes for the teleporters as well which has a right it seems an odd thing to include why would you do that why would you just let you teleport you find the teleporter teleport them don't put a barrier there that's not your game the game is not about doing that the game is about hunting down the power power sources um and and destroying them and don't do it so it's so fast that it's you know it's imperceptible to the human eye which one you're going to press you just have to jab and hope but yeah i did like the spaceship explosion though in this really nice space explosion yeah i said the production is great it really is. There is a lot to like in this. It's just those factors, as you've rightly said, they're like bulwarks. They're stopping, they just stop you dead in the track. What could have been a fun little hunter maze shoot 'em up type thing in the vein of Hunter's Moon and somewhere in between mutants, which is, you know, if you're going to crib from two games, that's two good games to crib from and sort of make yeah. something in the middle of them. This could have been that, but I don't know why they chose those game design decisions. It's really strange. And like I said, but maybe it was because there's just not enough depth to the gameplay. So they had to sort of try and put some extra bits in and the bits they put in didn't work as well as they kind of hoped they would. So going around the maze, firing stuff, it's all very, very similar. There's not that much variety to the different levels. And so they thought, oh, we better put something like this in. And then it was the wrong decision. They should have thought of, actually, we need something else in the mazes to generate some difference. But that's what it was. So yeah, there's not enough depth in the gameplay really to hold interest beyond the initial positive impressions and it's a shame i can yeah i could 80 percent, 79 percent. yeah probably about right there's enough here just frustrating moments that hold it back from being a really really good 
you know, contender to Hunter's Moon and Mutant kind of just underneath them because of those factors. Here we go. Yeah, great tragedy. It was because I because I don't think I'd ever played it. I, don't, I had not played a single game this week um, before. No, I, I do remember Firefly, but I remember it more for no. Um, I always get Firefly a bit mixed up with another game. Um, for some reason, I thought Tim Follin did the music on the Spectrum, but that was I was getting it mixed up with um, Agent X, which is nothing all like right, this okay. at all. Why, I don't know, but um, no, no, no. <laughs> no, I mean, the only ones I'd heard of, I'd heard of, I think I might have heard of The Train, it rang a bell, but I'd never played it. I'd heard of Black Lamp, but and I think I'd heard of Firefly, but again, never played it. This is around the time when I was properly dropping out of the C64 yeah. scene. It's an ocean so, release, isn't it, Firefly as well? It is, yeah, made by special effects. Yeah, they would go on to yeah. do quite a few things. Uh, you know, they'll go do the Cabal, um, Hyperactive, the Red, Red Heat. They make Red Heat, Midnight Resistance. They did Hysteria, actually. So. Did, yeah, because did I actually say who it was by? I didn't think I did, did I? Because it was. Might not. I, I meant to say it's, 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 it's yeah, special effects. It was produced DC Ward with PJ Finnegan, and he'll begin again. <laughs> Crappy joke. <laughs> <laughs> um, t- coded by T- Tony Pomfret and the graphics were by Karen Davis. Title yeah. screen Karen Davis. Did Karen and music was Fred Gray. Did Karen Davis have something to do with the? There's another few games. Her name rings a bell for I some think, reason. Is she extended? Yes. Is she the? Let me just the have a check. Frankie goes to Hollywood person. I think she's something I to do with that. I believe so. Let me just have a check. And I'm sure, and I've seen her name on something else. I know I have. Uh, Enigma Force, Dante's Inferno, Frankie goes to Hollywood. Yeah, extension then. Yeah. Cobra, Ooh. Shadowfire, Short Circuit, Hysteria. Mm. Good graphics in this. Yeah, just Batman, the Cape Crusader as well. We'll see what that's like. Um, yeah, do it's do a shame. Do do it's a shame. Do do. It could have been really, really good, this, but just those stupid look-based... Never put look-based stuff in, unless it's just a end-of-level bonus. Yeah, it shouldn't be a main part of the game design. Yeah. It should just be a bonus thing to get extra some things. Yeah. They use like this. A, it's a, it's a disaster. There's those look-based bits in uh, Roll Around, weren't there, at the end of the level to get like a yeah. 10 grand bonus and all that. But that's just... Yeah. Look- End of level bonus points. Who cares? It's not progression. Yep. Difference. Difference is so 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 slim. It's a fine fine line between clever and uh stupid. There you go. <laughs> there we go. That's it. That's it. That's April done. Um so this week. Uh, what did we look at? We looked at seven games. We looked at the train um, on its way to Normandy, and we really liked that. That was really good. We also looked at Magnetron, which poor man's paradroid, uh, isometric yep. poor man's paradroid, roll around, which we thought was excellent and really good too. Then Black Lamp, which was frustrating beyond belief. Uh, mm, Stratton, which was bore, boring big track simulator. <laughs> Strat on, Dull. strap off. BMX Hyperbike Simulator, which is just an insult. Um, yeah. And then finally, the frustrating and, uh, you know, slightly disappointing Firefly. Yeah, pleasing on the eye. Yes, very pleasing on the eye. There we go. That's it. That's our games for April. We do have a crapvert um, to have a look at. Ooh. If you'd like to have a look at that. Oh, God. <laughs> this Why? Is, <laughs> this is a Spectrum game. 48, 128K. This is Power Pyramids. What is that? <laughs> Uh, I couldn't tell whether this was good or bad. I ended up on bad. Uh, <laughs> it's bad. There's nothing good about that. Never use the Polaroid effect for your your image on your advert. No, that, don't do that. Don't use the you know, a jaunty angled Polaroid type frame. Why? Would you, would you like to describe what we're looking at, Graham? Well, it's for the game Power Pyramids. Okay. The, the typeface for that is... I'm not sure that I think they were going for Egyptian, but blatantly, I suppose maybe it is, maybe it isn't. It doesn't really work anyway. But underneath that, you've got a jaunty angled Polaroid 
of an Egyptian sarcophagus looking dumbfounded at a giant orange Powerball bouncing <laughs> off a pillar. <laughs> I mean, that's you know, that's exactly what it says on the tin. There's the that's tackiest. Some sparkles, some some firefly sparkles. Some, yeah, some firefly type sparkles on there. I'm not sure, but it's the sort of sarcophagi, sarcophagus thing. He's going, ooh. <laughs> it's just he's got really rosy cheeks as well, which is odd. There's obviously a light source in that makes no sense. There's the really tacky kind of cutout star available on Spectrum thing that that they don't belong on anything other than you know if you go to a cheap supermarket on the on the cucumbers that are on offer, <laughs> those kind of things. You don't, they have no place on a game advert. <laughs> they do not. Um, this is presented by Quicksilver. Mercifully and unusually for them, their logo is the smallest feature on the advert because normally they're yes. giant Quicksilver. But it's still that horrible, angular, badly cut out here as well because clearly they've just cut that out from a, a white background piece of paper and just stuck it on. Yeah, um, the, also there's three pol- screen grabs pol- at the bottom as well. Which have also been Polaroided. Yes, everything's got a Polaroid. They've, been, they've only been framed. They've also been stroked. Now, <laughs> I'm just uh, the, my eyes are starting to twitch a little bit now. Now, I've just noticed that there's a stroke on the outside of that frame. Those, those, are, those are Photoshop crimes now. You actually get punished by death if you do those things. If you, you, you emboss something with a frame and put a stroke on it, no. And I just realized that the, the typeface at the top They've just got a typeface and put a stroke on the edge of it, some kind of effect. Yeah. So, and then just put, you know, upped the stroke pixel count to about three. It unwiggled <laughs> it. It's like, no, 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 no. And I'm starting to, and the more I see, the more it hurts the brain. The Powerball is clearly just a shaded sphere. And they've just <laughs> yeah. used a gradient shaded fill to give it a kind of 3D. Okay. It kind of looks 3D. Sticks out like a sore thumb. The yeah. lighting's all wrong on that. And it's not illuminating anything else either, which is weird. There's also Doesn't a couple really of tell um, me much about it. glowy topped black pyramids on the floor as well which yeah, there co- is, cones cones which like harman Kardon speakers that are really expensive <laughs> speaker system that you might get from a highfalutin <laughs> stereo shop really weird loads of rubble around for no reason the killer it's broken off the power balls broken things the mummy things going oh and the right he's wearing a bobble hat a stone bobble hat which is <laughs> i must be heavy on the head no wonder he's looking pretty sweaty um, um the the text says delivery of the four pyramids is easy but activating them before you hand them over is a different story. And the next line's a bit cumbersome. It says, In this arcade adventure, guide your robotic spheroid around 120 screens of mind-bendingly convoluted landscape, avoiding the many hidden dangerous obstacles and activate all the power points in the pyramid. Right. So it essentially looks like a Cauldron 2 ripoff to me. Uh, yes, very much so. Very, very much so. so. Yeah. So they've, they've borrowed Cauldron 2 and made it about pyramids. Um, no... No, and thrice no. Be gone. <laughs> no. Awful, be gone. awful. Yes, just absolutely. so many mistakes. It's just, what is, why? <laughs> I knew this one would annoy you. When I looked just, at it, every, I went, Graham, it, Graham will get angry at that one. <laughs> the more I look at it, the more, just, you've got a giant orange day glow sphere in there that isn't illuminating <laughs> anything because the lights on the, on the pillars don't match. No, none oh, of it does. Just, no more of you. You must be gone now, demon who out. Thought, who thought the sort of gnome-like guy on the right was, you know, no, like yeah, and no wearing is. a stone Benny hat is not a good thing. <laughs> yeah, dear, there we go. That's power <laughs> pyramid. Dreadful. Uh, let's look at the charts for this week. Uh, this month, sorry. Uh, this is from Commodore Snoozer. This is uh, at number ten. <laughs> um, up from seventeen is Soccer Boss, which I've actually mm. learned is actually a, a not is not um, football manager. It is actually its own game. But there you go. Okay. Uh, up to number nine uh, is Trapdoor. New in at number eight mm. is Predator. Up to number seven is Fruit Machine Simulator. Who is buying that? No one. 
Uh, up to number six is Project Stealth Fighter. Down okay. to number five from number one is Outrun. Uh, new, and we've got new entries now, four, three, and two. New entry at number four, Eyeball 2. Uh, yeah. uh, we've got a couple of, obviously, budget re-releases here. In at number three is Way of the Exploding Fist from Ricochet, so that's mm. a budget re-release. Ghostbusters at number two as well, uh, obviously getting a budget re-release. But climbing one place to number one is Platoon. Interesting. There we go, yeah. Okay. Uh, the rest of the chart... Uh, 11, we have Kickstart 2, but they're spelled kick wrong because just K-I-K, not K-I-C-K. Um, <laughs> 12, BMX Kids. Number 13, new entry of Force and Inches. We go. Mm. Down to 14, Test Drive. Down to 15, Match Day 2. Down to 16, ATV Simulator. Down to mm, 17, God. Popeye. Down oh to 18, Lord. Grand Prix Simulator. Um, in mm-hmm. at number 19 is Zybex. Um, okay. And in at number 20 is The Famous Courses Volume 1. <laughs> okay, that's a addendum for leaderboard. There must be a leaderboard is it because it's from Access, yeah. So it must be something yeah. or other. So obviously, uh, which is quite impressive that a, a essentially a bonus DLC, yeah, DLC disc is just in the charts. That's pretty impressive. Yeah, uh, there we go. What do we have coming up in May? Well, ATF. These games okay. mean nothing to me now at this point. Bedlam, no. Blood Valley, Card Sharks, no uh, okay. Ch- Championship Sprint. Nope. So obviously, that's sequel to Chernobyl. Uh, okay. That's by uh, Paul Norman. Interesting. So Forbidden Forest guy, yeah. Corporation. Can be anything. Cybernoid. Okay. I recognize Cybernoid. Yeah. Uh, Frightmare, which I recognize because I keep Isabel. seeing that bit for that. Uh, GB Air Rally. I remember that being quite good. Could be. Gunsmoke. Mm, I don't know. Nope. The Halls of the Things. Never um, heard of it. Herobotics. Oh, Lord. Uh, Impact. Mm-hmm. Packland. Oh, God. I mean, we've got the Packland cover coming up. Infamous Packland yep. cover. Uh, Power at Sea. Yeah, sounds like a HM Pegasus version. It really me. does, doesn't it? Yeah. Pro BMX Simulator. Oh, that get off the BMX Simulator. <laughs> Please, no more of them. <laughs> Revenge of Doe. Uh, we'll review it again. <laughs> yeah, we'll look at that one again. Yeah. Rim Runner. Oh, that's good, Rim Runner. That's the Palace one, isn't it? Yep. Uh, Rockford, which I'm really okay. hoping is based on the Rockford Files. Rolling Thunder. I am. Oh God. I have palpitations Dread, about that. that because I love the arcade of Rolling Thunder. I absolutely uh, adore that arcade, like and so ex- I'm like thinking. That. I don't remember ever playing it, but I, I'm I'm not expecting good things after seeing what they did no. to Rygar and stuff. No. Um, Sabotage, who knows? Okay. Samurai Warrior, yeah. You saggy your Jimbo. Oh, so you saggy your Jimbo, is it making an appearance? Yeah. Uh, stealth Mission. Never heard of it. I think I, th- I think someone mentioned that on our Discord, I think, because I think that's similar to uh, Project Stealth Fighter. Okay. I think okay. Tanium, which sounds mm. like <laughs> sounds like a bit on the body. Sounds like an album from some <laughs> rock band. <laughs> oh, it's from Tangerine Dream. We're going to do the first side <laughs> yes. from Tanium. Yay! It does actually sound like a Tangerine Dream album, yeah. <laughs> Gary, friend of the podcast, would get well wet about that album. Um, Terramex, which sounds like uh, some kind of really hot food. It does, yeah, or a cement, type of cement. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It's that paving, mate. You need Terramex. Get some Terramex on that. Gets it, yeah, absolutely. I'll mix it up good. You won't see it. You, last last few years. Uh, yeah, it's ten year time, guarantee on that. <laughs> time fighter. Who mm. knows? I've got, that's either going to be a crap beat 'em up or some kind of. I'm, I'm going to say that's a crap beat 'em up or a top down 360 time pilot type thing. I'm, get, I'm thinking time pilot type thing. Yeah, I'm hoping it's like a beat 'em up across the ages, but I don't think it will be. <laughs> yeah, it, it won't be. <laughs> <laughs> no, top fuel challenge sounds crap. None of that makes any sense. 
<laughs> it doesn't make any sense whatsoever. <laughs> but those words that put together don't make sense. Uh, no, they troll, don't. which is based on the mm. toys with the big hair. Oh, crap. I've seen the advert for that popping up now and again. Um, yeah. And finally, something just called UCM. Okay, well, we'll find out what that stands for. It's bound to be a crap acronym. <laughs> I wonder what it does stand for. Uncontrollable. It's ultimate Combat Machine. <laughs> it could be, yeah. Uh, that's uh, a guess. That's a complete guess. Uncontrollable colon movements is what I was thinking, but yeah, something yeah, or something computer man, underpanted <laughs> computer man. <laughs> if it's not that, I'm going to be sorely disappointed. <laughs> it's a follow up to Banana Man. <laughs> Why is he called Banana Man? He's not look like a banana. Don't look down. Don't ever look down. <laughs> don't look down at Banana Man. Like don't look down at the egg. Yeah, don't, <laughs> don't look, look over an egg. Don't look down at Banana Man. No, don't look at his banana. God's sake. Because <laughs> he maybe couldn't. Uncontrollable <laughs> computer man. Exactly. <laughs> Underpanted. <laughs> Underpanted computer man. <laughs> I hope it is that. I, I, I'm, I'm going to make a game and make it that. I'm going to learn how to, to do assembler code in the next That's week. It. All right, there we go. That's it. That's April. April is done. If you wish to support the podcast, you can do so. Uh, you can uh, support us financially. If you can afford it, it would be it is greatly appreciated. You can head over to uh, patreon.com forward slash zapped to the past um, and you can throw us a pound a month if you wish to do that. That is greatly appreciated. Or you can subscribe to the top tier C64 level, £4.50 or your local currency equivalent and that gets you access to ad free episodes early access to the discord any bonus episodes you get the ability to ask us questions for when we do our ask the podcast and all stuff like that it's all cool it's all good and obviously the other side of that is that it helps us out um keeping the keeping the wheels running on this and keeping us playing these games so of course you do not have to that's about it obviously if you want to go leave us a review raters reviewers itunes uh, podcast addict all those kind of things it helps the podcast as Graham will say in the outro, somehow, we're not sure how, there's algorithms at work. Algorithms. Just does. Just does. Um, but it helps it somehow. So that's been April. I think April's not been too bad. It's certainly been an improvement on the terrible, terrible March. Yeah. I mean, less games. There's only 21 games to compare to the sort of 30 we had each for the first three months. Um, I mean, there was the horror of that on-cue rip-off, the, the snooker oh, one. God. But we had highlights like the train and stuff like that, which have, yeah, you know, really round, impressed yeah. me. And some been some really good games this this month, which I've, I've quite yeah, quite enjoyed. Some... Strike Fleet. Was the average good. is definitely on the upper side on the yeah. April. Sky Fox Two. Even we had even had a decent game of Blockbusters. Traz one yeah. bad, despite some of its uh, fourth and yeah. inches. That was excellent. Yeah, there's been some so, good ones, and the accolades seem to be really hammering them out at the minute. Yeah, Dander Two, Sokoban, some interesting interesting games, mm. and of course, Flight of the Dragons. There you know. Yes, <laughs> and a big track. <laughs> that's, that's better. Indeed. Um, yeah, let's hope. Let us hope, we don't know, that May continues this upward trend. Yes, the merry, merry month of May. Let's hope, because uh, we got out <laughs> the doldrums of the early part of the uh, the year, and now we're into, we like, you know, we've been spoiled. Spoiled by some good games, and we wish to stay at that level. Otherwise, so we're we'll heading be... into the summer season of games now. Let's see what it brings. See what it brings. Oh, next spring. The, I do just remember that it's the Packland cover next month, though. Yeah, is... it's not a great cover. <laughs> it's not one, but we'll talk about that obviously next week. So I think there, I think we should end really and, and head off on our merry way um, and leave you, the dear listener, to do whatever it is you wish to do. You got anything more you wish to add, Graham? No, I just recommend that everyone goes and plays the train. I think it's the real highlight. Indeed. And a good and reminder that C64 is a very capable machine when it's got the right people 
making games for it. Indeed, I second that. So, as ever, I have been Adrian Mills. And I have been Graham Raddings. And you have been listening to Zapped to the Past, and we will see you again next week. Goodbye. Thank you for listening to the Zap to the Past podcast. We hope you enjoyed our deep dive into the world of Commodore 64 games, as well as the music, films and TV from around the 1980s, driven, of course, by the issue of Zap 64 magazine published at that time. We will return with a whole new batch of games and stuff to talk about next week. Until then, if you want to listen to or download previous episodes of Zap to the Past, and why wouldn't you, they can all be found on our website at zaptothepast.com, as well as being available on Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Deezer, Audible, Player FM, and, well, pretty much anywhere where we can upload them. By the way, we do always love to hear from our amazing listeners, so if you'd like to contact us about anything in the podcast or beyond, you can do so by emailing us at zaptothepast at gmail.com. We're also active on Twitter under at Zaptother, as well as Facebook, Instagram, and most social media platforms. Just search for Zap to the Past and you'll find us. Oh, and if you like the podcast and what we're doing, please do like, share, review, rate us. It really helps. Something, apparently. The Zap to the Past podcast is written and produced by Adrian Mills and Graham Raddings and recorded at Flaky Bits 2.0 Studio. All opinions expressed are those of the writers, and while we indeed love Zap64 magazine, the Zap to the Past podcast is not affiliated with it in any way. Stay safe, see you next time, and remember, we play these games so you don't have to.